Welcome to the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, the untold stories of the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. I'm your host, Guru Nishan, and I was born and raised in 3HO, and the stories and the people of our community matter to me. And so I started this podcast for several reasons and intentions, which I share at the beginning of every episode. Number one, to break the veil of silence that is long permeated and continues to strangle the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community in the name of neutrality. Number two, to validate and help clarify the complex feelings of those who have joined this lifestyle, were born and raised into it, and or who have practiced or taught Kundalini Yoga. Number three, to encourage active listening to uncomfortable conversations from our community as a revolutionary act of self and collective healing. Number four, to let survivors know that we see them, we believe them, we love them, and we will fight for their truth to be addressed. Number five, to let teachers who are denying, gaslighting, or spiritually bypassing know that what they are doing is willfully ignorant and re-traumatizing victims. Number six, to illuminate the inherent racism, homophobia, cultural appropriation, and exploitation that perpetuates the teachings, 3HO lifestyle, and overall community ethos. Number seven, to stop the perpetuation of gaslighting and victim shaming by naming it for what it is. Number eight, to dismantle internalized shame, guilt, toxic positivity, and light washing mentality. Number nine, to honor all of the parts of ourselves that have been forgotten or silenced. Number 10, to honor each and every body that has come through our community, both named and unnamed. And number 11, to encourage people to do their own research, to process their own emotions, to get somatic therapy and other th therapy and other support as needed, to draw your own conclusions and to be critical thinkers rather than to just blindly follow anyone. Please remember that your story matters. Please share it when you're ready. We're here to listen and to support you. I wanna to welcome today's guest, her name is Simona, a.k.a. Dharma Devi. She's a professional yoga and meditation teacher, as well as a dance educator. She has been practicing yoga and meditation since she was nine years old. 
She entered the Kundalini Yoga community in 2000-2001, and even though the red flags were quite red, she didn't listen to her intuition and started her path within the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community anyway. She graduated from Kundalini Yoga teacher training in Rome, Italy in 2003, and as an associate teacher trainer officially in 2012. During this time frame, she also graduated as a Shakti dance instructor, which is a technology that is based on Kundalini Yoga as taught by Yogi Bhajan. She graduated as a lead trainer for this discipline in 2012. She taught Shakti dance at the summer and winter solstice up until 2017, when she started to realize something was wrong within the community. In 2019, she left and broke ties within the Kundalini Yoga and Sikh Dharma, uh, which, she has, which has been painful after being ostracized and dedicating her entire life to, the, to these two technologies. She's grateful for her background as an artist because the pain of letting everything go has been excruciating. She graduated in 2004 from the University of Turin in Italy in history and anthropology of dance and theater. She currently owns her own business teaching ancient movement and dance healing practices, including her sacred modality, Kundalini Rhythms Dance. She loves guiding people back to their power through the joy and sacredness of dance and Qigong. I want to welcome you, Simona. Thank you for being here. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure over the last number of months to witness you online and like commenting <laughs> on my things or posting different things just kind of since the break open in May in the spring of 2020. Mm -hmm. I've witnessed you from a distance and so finally hearing from you and being ready to share. I, I just want to thank you for reaching out. Thank you for welcoming my request, my, yeah, my request. <laughs> so um, you obviously, you know, been involved for many years and in later years, as I, as I read it, we're talking about mm -hmm. the 2000s. So it's, it's, um, it's fascinating to look at the timeframes. Yeah. Um, why is it important for you to share your story? It is important because first I have been silenced. So my experience have been, uh, has been silenced um, as I started to share that something was not quite right. And uh, the other reason why I want to share is uh, that a lot of people don't know what's happening because they're still listening to their own uh, teachers who are denying everything. And um, I am Italian, I, am, I was part of the Kundalini Yoga community in Italy, and a lot of people in Italy still do not believe that these allegations are even remotely true. And they continue the same pattern, the same type of communication, which is like you say in your introduction, um, re-traumatizing victims. And, um, I have been very sensitive to the issues because I, I was brainwashed in the same way and probably myself, 
I re-traumatize other people. So for a very long time, for about three years, I felt myself responsible. So I need to talk and speak out because that wasn't me talking. And I really thought I was totally on the right position and I won't. Um, it harmed me, it harmed other people. And uh, I know where I'm coming from. And I really want to share it to really try to wake people up to the issue. Um, I have nothing against the technique itself, but things need to, even though I don't practice it anymore because it really impacted me, not in a good way necessarily. And, uh, but I want people to understand what it means to practice a technique and continue to say, to say the teachings are good, the teachings are the problem, is the problem, <laughs> you know, in my opinion, in my experience. So that's why I'm here to share. Mm. I want to point out a couple of things that you've, you've mentioned just in this little introduction, um, that there are, within the community, people aren't, like in Italy, you're specifically speaking about in Europe or, or in the Italian community, that there are a lot of people that just are blindly following whatever their teacher mm -hmm. is saying. And if the lead teachers, the senior head people, whatever that means within that respective community, then all of the students are just kind of only look listening and within that bubble. And I want to point this out that that's so old. Like I just did my interview the other day and I was reflecting back in like the 80s and the 90s, you know, 70s, yes. 80s and 90s of our community. This is very old. And so these patterns to witness, to hear your introduction for me, that you came in in the 2000s. And for what you've experienced and what you're about to share with us that I haven't even yet heard, I just can already imagine the replication of hierarchy and the replication of non-transparency and the victim shaming that's continuing and the blind faith energy that's not paying attention to what's in plain sight. Real people's stories that are available for us to listen to and people are choosing to not listen. Yes, that's a point. They, they choose not to listen. And then there is the language barrier. Interesting enough, uh, um, the books of Kundalini Yoga are not translated into Italian. They started to translate these books, like the manual, the teacher training manual, when uh, I, I moved to the US. So around 2009, maybe 2008. And, um, and I don't know exactly if they finished the project. <laughs> So uh, up until that time, there weren't uh, books uh, in, uh, written in Italian. So all these people that don't know English, the only thing that I had to, um, to practice Kundalini Yoga and to know about Kundalini Yoga were the Kriya and their own teachers. So whatever the teacher says is uh, gold for, for them. You know, and it's still gold. It, it gold. It was gold uh, back then. They, uh, back then, and now it's gold still uh, today. And uh, what I have experienced uh, while I'm sharing information very kindly with people because I know how shocking this could be. I was completely um, a, a train wreck, I would say, when I discovered everything. When everything started to emerge. 
Um, so I know how shocking it is. So I'm trying to be very kind and compassionate and try to uh, not to just throw a bomb on them. But I had been realizing that even when you say to them, I'm here, if you need a translation, I can translate for you. Um, then they don't follow up. It's like they don't want to know. And it's like, oh, for me, the technology, the teaching works and it's fine. I'm and that's an issue for me. <laughs> it's a, a huge issue because uh, there are a lot of people that are still suffering. I am in this moment uh, very emotional and feel very vulnerable in sharing this, but I do recognize that it's important that I open my mouth and I say what I'm holding in my heart. That's it. It absolutely is. And I can really share in your vulnerability around just like what cultures of silence do to impact, you know, the amount of internalized shame within us that prevents us from, or just the um, exponentially grows the fear of speaking out. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's like the predator, it's the predator cycle. Yeah. Um, so beautiful, beautiful and <laughs> courageous. And, and thank you. Um, so yeah, thank you because yeah, we want, we want these stories to be shared and <laughs> to speak out. So thank you. And let's begin. Thank you. Where would you like to okay. begin? Well, I, I would like to give just a little, uh, a, a short introduction of how I got into <laughs> the, uh, Kundalini yoga community, um, and what made me stay because I think this is crucial to understand also Yogi Bhajan personality and how he was influencing people to be part of the community. So as I said uh, uh, in my bio, um, I started, I think it was 2000 or 2001. I'm not sure exactly what year. I just remembered that Yogi Bhajan came to Italy in 1999, the last time. So. I've never had the, the, the opportunity to meet with him in person because he wasn't traveling to, to Italy and uh, abroad or far from, from the U.S. So he was uh, at the ranch, he was sick. So I started to practice Kundalini yoga without actually meeting him in person, but meeting the facilitators and all the you know, inner circle. And I started at the yoga festival in France. So I didn't start with a yoga class. I was uh, uh, invited to attend the yoga festival in France by a friend because I was practicing Atha yoga. And he said, no, Kundalini yoga is better. Just come to France and you will see. And uh, when I arrived in France and considered that I, at that time I was full atheist. <laughs> so religious, uh, religions to me were not really um, part of my life. I was raised uh, Catholic, but um, I then took my own path. And um, so I found myself in the middle of nowhere, um, sitting uh, in front of a castle in in France because uh, there was this big field and woods and there was this uh, French castle in the middle for then I discovered for the big teachers um, <laughs> and I was sitting there and I was looking at all at all these people wearing white clothes and tunies and turbans and swords of any kind and there were people chanting in a foreign language 
language and I, I really I couldn't understand any of it and I was like oh my god I avoided religions all my life how can I go through an entire week <laughs> with these people chanting and wearing this uh, funny clothing <laughs> and um, and I went through it um, but I went through it because while I was sitting there and I was alone my friends was late um, so in, he, he, um, they, they were traveling from Rome and um, their train was uh, late. So I was alone for most of the day, surrounded by Germans, <laughs> who I love, by the way, but I didn't speak any English at the time. And definitely I didn't speak any German. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they're kind of a big presence. Uh, imagine 2,000 people and... 1,500s are Germans, <laughs> and they're very, <laughs> so it was very funny, um, very kind, very smiling, but still, you know, there were, you know, I was the only Italian at that, in that specific moment, so I found myself kind of in a very vulnerable moment, so I lift my eyes, and I look right in front of me, and I see a picture of Yogi Bhajan, and what I see from this picture, I see, I see a compassionate man. This is very important because this picture, I have never seen that picture ever again. So after that moment, that picture disappeared from my sight. I've never seen that picture again the day after, only in that moment, only in that specific moment. And uh, I just felt like a, a call, like a, you are in the right place, you will be fine. Um, I'm a very sensitive person, but it was kind of strange for that night. um, So basically, I I look at at this picture, I feel this call, I see his face, and uh, he he looks like a, a... a grandfather or a father, you know, a father figure, a strong father figure with compassionate. So I decided to stay because I actually wanted to run away <laughs> and go to Paris. So I, I decided to stay. And from that night, I started to have dreams of Yogi Bhajan. Uh, Yogi Bhajan telling me, this is a beautiful place, uh, these people are fantastic. <laughs> uh, if you are part of our community, if you allow us, or if you allow yourself something like that, that I don't remember very well what happens, but it was like, if you allow this, and you will be happy and free. Look at these people running on, uh, on the field. And I was like, whoa. So I started immediately to do sadhana. I learned the japji right there at the summer, uh, at the yoga festival, and I started. I did my first three days white tantra, and uh, right there I was hooked. I asked uh, for my spiritual name. That came one week after I returned from the yoga festival. So very quickly. Uh, like nobody almost received the um, spiritual name so quickly. Um, and I received Dharma Kaur or Dharma Kaur. And um, as soon as I received my spiritual name, I felt like I had a responsibility. 
because uh, the translation was the one who protect and um, bring the, the the dharma on on the planet something like that like protect and the savior something like that so um right there at the summer at the yoga festival i start my my my, my path with Kalini yoga note that i lived in turin there was there were no teachers in uh, in turin i had to travel to rome to take classes with my teacher um, and so I did. I did for four years, back and forth, taking classes and taking the teacher training uh, when I was in, in training and when I could because I was at the university, I was working. So my free time was all dedicated to Kundalini Yoga, to learn this practice, to learn this technique and to try to be part of this community at the best of my ability. How old so, were you? Uh, so I moved, uh, I think I was 28, no, 28 is when I moved to, well, I don't remember. <laughs> Let me count because I'm 45. <laughs> um, I think I was 28 when I moved in, um, to Rome. Um, and so I was 24. Okay. Yeah. I think more or less if I... Because I moved to Rome in uh, 2004, immediately after graduating, and I was 28. So when this started, it was uh, four years before. So it was about 23, 24. You're enthralled. You're going into Kundalini as much as you can. You're going to Rome for yes. training. Like you're getting full on dedicated. In yes. And uh, interesting because that's when I should have noticed that something was off because coming from a very strong Atha yoga uh, practice, my, I used, as I said, I started to practice yoga, meditation when I was nine years old with a, a school program. Um, we learned uh, judo and part of the judo practice was meditation at the end. And uh, I hated judo, but I loved the meditation part. And uh, then later on, like around when I was 16, 17, I started to practice Atha yoga with a teacher in, in Turin. And she was very um, traditional in her teaching and in her practice. So when I started to practice Kundalini yoga, so many things didn't return quite right to me. Like even just a breathing technique or uh, some asana techniques. Um, uh, when I approached my teacher about it, I was that the first time I was silenced by saying, "Oh, you are one of those," <laughs> and I was like, "What do you mean, one of those?" <laughs> and I, I was like, "What?" <laughs> And I felt like, because he's a big teacher, and um, I do respect him a lot, but I do remember him saying, oh, you're one of, there are different techniques, the uh, Tata Yoga, this is Kundalini Yoga, is completely different. And I was okay. Gaslighting, by the way, <laughs> listeners, 101 gaslighting, all infused, like, oh, so, you're one of those. You're one of those. We have a special and, uh, technique. And what yeah, you no, know is not real and not nearly as valid as what we know. So exactly. dedicate yourself, oh humble, oh not so humble one, and listen well, to the master. 
yes, consider that my name being Dharma, basically I had to be more humble than others because, you know, I represent the perfection of the universe. You know, I'm the protector of the Dharma. And so I couldn't even dare to say, hey, that's some technical stuff that do not quite uh, resonate with whatever I have learned before. And um, so oh, keep, I, keep educating us. This is so good. Keep going. <laughs> so um, note that the teacher that told me this was my Kundalini yoga teacher trainer, but he's not the teacher that then I continue to practice with. So I took the training with another trainer. Um, and then as soon as the training finished, I ran away from him. Um, and I found another teacher Who is uh, for teacher? my, um, he's a kind of an aggressive guy. So, uh, he, he's a teacher in, uh, in Rome. Um, his name is the Guru Shabad Singh. Got it. Yes. In Rome. So I took the training with him and, um, but the, the atmosphere that whatever I have learned before wasn't uh, valid it stays within the community. Even now, um, even now with uh, dance, I, I am an Indian classical dancer and I studied this discipline, have been studying this, this discipline for a very long time. And Indian classical dance is considered a, a, one of the highest form of yoga is a spiritual technique and even uh, this practice has been devalued by the same by some components of the community in italy because i know that in in the us is a little bit more appreciated um so this is quite big because it wasn't just that because i have done a research for my thesis for the unity and uh, i have found a few connection with uh, uh, some other spiritual leaders uh, and uh, quite real um, and even my thesis was completely dismissed all my research um, for university <laughs> that you know served me to graduate was completely dismissed like it wasn't important or valuable for the kundalini yoga community and when I used my study at the university, when I was in the academy to become a trainer, I remember very well that they didn't even consider my degree in terms of specialization or um, extra knowledge that I could contribute to, to, to the community and to the, to the teaching to, you know, to make them a little bit more modern. And this didn't happen just to me. It happened to, to other people in my same situation. Um, I want to flag yes. here real quick mm -hmm. and just kind of really say that this is highlighting the, the spiritual superiority aspect that's infused within the teachings, mm -hmm. the culture, the ethos, this idea that we have a special technology that's above the rest. Yes and will change humanity. And it, what it does is it creates this subtle film that prevents, A, what you're talking about, taking knowledge from your history that you know is valid and rooted in science and ancient lineage, 
and acknowledging that. And then it also cuts us off from trying other things, practicing other things along with something that might work or resonate with us within Kundalini yoga. And it's a really subtle thing, but it chops us off from by thinking we have the superior one. We no longer become open to all this magnificence around us. It's interesting that you say that because uh, that's exactly what happened to me. Notice that I am curious like a, a cat outside in the wild. So I needed to put my nose in everything because I really want to know. I'm, I'm a scholar. I'm a researcher. I, I study books that I don't even, uh, you know, I have a medicine book in, uh, in, uh, in, in my basement because I have, you know, I like to study science and artist. <laughs> um, so I'm very, very curious. And this is interesting because while training, so while I was in the academy uh, to become an instructor first and then a trainer later, uh, I gradually distanced myself from everything I loved, from theater, acting, dancing, performing. I stopped practicing and studying uh, Indian classical dance, which is uh, something that I deeply love. And I feel really my dharma <laughs> calling me back. My soul knows that technique and wants to do it. And yet I, I stopped practicing. Like I stopped practicing a lot of my dance activity, like Oriental dance, uh, um, because, you know, you move too much your hips with oriental dance but i had a shakti dance so uh shakti dance was it's a beautiful practice but it was presented to me as the good option <laughs> you know the good uh, moral this option graceful. this is graceful this is yes. the way you can express so, yourself as a woman and your feminine this- your feminine energy but in a you know in a good way healing way it was like almost uh, like there is a good way to be a fe- a woman and a feminine uh, energy uh, embodiment type of woman and the bad way. Of course, Oriental dance was the bad way. Mm. Um, I remember once performing in front of my teacher and other members of the community, um, a, a, an original piece of Indian classical dance that my teacher taught me. And... Um, I remember being told, yes, do this performance, but please don't put too much makeup on you. And I was like, wait, the makeup is part (laughs) of the dance itself. It's really part of the sacredness of that specific dance, the way how they paint their eyes in that way is a part of the entire energy that they try to manifest and embody when they dance is is really part of the costume and I'm performing why should I shouldn't I put so much makeup and I actually listened to them so I started to and I put less makeup like today I have a makeup and it's way more than their makeup that I used to say so I didn't wear makeup before almost 20 years just something under my eyes to cover my you know <laughs> black eyes you know the, the, the sign under um so for an artist for a person that likes to be beautiful i'm a taurus rising scorpio <laughs> 
uh, that was really uh, a feminine killers. <laughs> so, because my identity, the feminine energy was completely uh, slowly came down. Mm. Um, even and when it's I started subtle shaming, thing. it's done through subtle shaming over it time. And it's it also is. once again done through that superiority lens that says, this is the right way. This is the superior way. Let's say it a little more. This is the pure <laughs> way. This is yes. the white way, right? The pure. And I really want to highlight this because it's classic imperialism colonialism like hijack and rob ancient ancient science and and wisdom and religion from lots of sources put it all together and call it 3ho kundalini yoga that were the superior special knowledge and then put down those other things that really is where the source of this this identity that we're holding on to it's it's like pure imperialism and white superiority at its best so it's ugh. well the fem killed in so many ways in, in the community just to think about the the turban and the white clothing that have no shape at all like most of um in italy especially consider that up until 2009, I didn't have any connection with the American community aside from teachers that were traveling from the US to teach during teacher training. So I didn't speak English at the time. So whatever I was experienced was coming directly from the people that were practicing for longer time than me. So the turban was like, uh, that's your crown, you know, you, you uplift yourself with the turban. And I started to focus on making the most beautiful turban on my head I could, to the point that my turban and everybody knew me in Rome for that, that I had the same turban as Yogi Bhajan. <laughs> it is the same shape. I used to make the same turban as Yogi Bhajan to make uh, the, the perfect turban that he used to wear. Then I took practice and make a more feminine turban but at that time I was really into that specific shape because I was really copying the, the master the, the the guru from you know the, the the source of all teachings and the 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 clothing the white clothing without shape and note I have started fashion design so for me putting a, a dress that is white plain <laughs> with no shape at all straight it was a nightmare especially for a body like mine i'm very curvy so <laughs> these i was like a potato bag basically mm. and uh, i was told that basically the beauty of a woman is in her natural aspect and um um and it was like if we wrap our head and we don't show the we wear all the same clothing at least we do not compete with one another i do remember that that expression was like uh what oh my god in <laughs> whose reality what? are they talking because that's the antithesis <laughs> what? of what we had right this is a uh, very strong in the women's circle and i'm not lying because look i ha i woke up to these uh, one night and I was in the West and I almost lost my mind because I saw everything 
all together and I said, I cannot believe it. I fall for, for this. I cannot believe it. Uh, I fell for it. You know, I, um, I was really in, in a state of shock because I started to realize everything. And I You're actually had to forward. thank my... You're jumping forward on us. Don't start waking up on us. We're still in the getting in phase. But I want to pause on on all the listeners from any decade that that you've been involved in 3HO and have ever had turban envy. You know, (laughs) this is a real thing, you know, and there was a a stage. I remember I must have been probably 13-ish. And there was a stage where, like, having a, a good the turban <laughs> and what a good turban looked like. And they went from being tall and crazy to short and really stylish. And the young women, you know, and it was just pause, moment of silence for anybody who ever <laughs> has had hyper anxiety of having a perfect, devoted crown turban. And to this silent undercurrent of competition to be the most pure, the most radiant, right? By wearing nothing, like not allowed to wear makeup, not allowed to beautify, all these things. And how deeply ingraining this is in our psyche. Like, I really am appreciating what you're saying, Simona, because this is still a part of my psyche, my unconscious psyche around it's more beautiful to be natural than to what you're talking about lights my soul up. And I haven't yet fully been able to experience it in my life around what it means to like beautify with special adornment as a part of what the ritual and expression is and that that has ancient practice rooted in indigenous cultures for us as a community to poo poo it, put it down, insult it. And it's just, again, it's, it's so sickening and I can feel that. So thank you for speaking to this. I have two points. One is, uh, why? Because with our eyeliner or lipstick, we are no natural. I am natural. I'm super natural right now and I'm super happy and I feel just myself more. Second, this has come from the ancient time and misunderstanding of history. As a student of ancient art, so sacred dance, um, sacred dancers, male and women, point this very clearly. They were beautifying their body because dance, for example, or drumming, for that matter, music, were sacred ritual. And they were ritual associated with fertility, sexual ceremonies, and weddings, and so on, healing, and prosperity, harvesting, everything. But somehow in the history, this became so negative, pagan, impure. So we have programmed our mind to think that if you put too much makeup, and what does it mean too much makeup? But if you put too much makeup, you are no natural or you are not, especially for women, not a good woman. You should send the wrong message. Um, so this has to stop. And interesting enough, in the Kundalini Yoga community, they don't tell you not to wear makeup. 
they suggest you that natural is better. So it's, it's twisted because uh, maybe you do not realize it because I have friends that do not realize it. They might wear lipstick because they never entered into the community as I did and as other people did. But when you are in the community, this type of comments like being more natural, grow your hair, don't cut your hair, your body hair, or wear things that do not uh, shape your body, do not show your, your, your forms. Um, don't never stare in a, uh, explicitly, like they don't say clearly in this way. They, they say it in a way that it's kind of um, suggested, you know, because it's better that way, your energy works better, like don't cut your hair, your body hair, because your aura will benefit, you will be stronger. And this will bring me to my intention to take the Amrit, which didn't go to uh, completion. And this will make you laugh. But uh, basically, in 2017, the last time I went to um, summer solstice, um, I decided that I wanted to take the Amrit. Um, and I was already in the US, so I moved to the, to the US in the, the time 2009 to study English. And uh, so I stayed, I opened my business, uh, I decided that I wanted to stay in the US. I met amazing people, so that's it, I wanted to change. And I wanted to change from my Italian community because I could, there was, I, it wasn't clear to me, but there was something that was very heavy on me. Um, I couldn't put the pieces together, but there were so many things that weren't um, working for me. Uh, for instance, uh, I was known as the wife of the guru <laughs> in Rome, because I was the one always reading from the Siri Guru Granth Sahib uh, every time. So I read that um, sacred book three times from beginning to end aloud in the yoga studio of my teacher. And every time there was a hedge path, I was always the one reading all night <laughs> uh, from the guru. So I had this title of the um, you know, wife of the guru. And I said, no, I want to be a wife of a man. <laughs> and uh, it was like uh, I, was, I was feeling like repressed and I couldn't express really myself as a woman. A friend of mine was saying, well, when I see you and my teacher, Sadna Singh, I see a priest and nun. And that hurt big time because, you know, it's not nice. You want to be a woman and another man is uh, seeing you as a nun. And that's not a compliment. <laughs> How you many years to... in were you at this point? What year is this? Uh, it, was, um, it was around... Uh, when I received these uh, non comment, uh, I think it was 2005. So it was five years uh, uh, into the. I, I want yes. to point and out that, that you the, went. You go ahead. And the wife of the guru was um, 2009. That's when I know <laughs> I'm not. So, so, so like five uh, to nine years in, you're talking about getting, you know, having this persona where you went from like, 
where you kind of felt your own feminine juice to where this slowly kind of this nun persona and it's like whoa whether you're projecting or whether it's whether it's getting projected on you either way it's a result of your time within the community at this point yes yeah because consider that i went really from performing on stage every weekend so wearing makeup uh, being always with some costume to wearing some other costume, a turban and a white clothes. And I went from heels, like Timothy's heels, to flat shoes. And this happened overnight. Note that when this transition was happening, I had friends warning me. And um, I couldn't listen to them. I, they, they, they told me then afterwards, we couldn't talk to you. Every time we tried to talk you out, you used to get mad, like you were possessed. And I realized that they were right, absolutely right. Um, they tried to say, Simona, something is not right. You went from being the coolest girl at the university that guys like lined up for <laughs> to, to wear a turban on your head. Something is not... And uh, I got mad several times. I lost most of my friends and um, they disappear. And the excuse within the community is that the, because you change your frequency, so people will adjust to your new frequency. No, people do not tolerate you anymore. They don't know how to communicate with you, so they disappear. It's not because you are rising your frequencies, because you are becoming aggressive that's why most of us find them with no friends and of course we get new friends within the community so that they resonate and that they think like you and they wear like you um so they support the same script as you and the others uh, you know they will return because they are your friends they will return when Finally, this turban is on, and I will say, I tried to, but it was impossible to talk to you. And, you know, that's to me, that was the moment where I said, Oh my God, I let that happen to me. And it was shocking because I am super independent, I, am, I have a very strong will. I, you know, I take one thing and, you know, I want something and I go and I take it. So the fact that I fell into this uh, tricky, it was um, bad for me to realize that. And I, I cannot imagine people that have not this strong will, how they get manipulated, how they can get, can get sucked in and uh, harmed. Yeah, and you're speaking to, like, just the subtle art of what it means to kind of, like, get pulled into the fold. Mm -hmm. And it is very subtle. It's not like you have to do this and this, but it's more like, you know, this is why understanding shaming and gaslighting and learning about, you know... Uh, forms of codependency really support our ability to be able to notice what's happening in these subtle environments where there's suggestive communication from the mm -hmm. teachers, from the community. And before you know it, you start self-questioning something that was a, a strong aspect of, of your own steadfast nature for a place to belong. And I mean, you're talking yes. about 
you know, the longing to belong again is one of our yes. primal needs, but mm-hmm. it's just such a, a big thing that you're talking about here that our friends for life, our family for life will wait and they'll love us anyways. But like, why is there this marketing machine to move? This is my question from the outside. I feel like I'm, I'm looking in sometimes at our community. Why is there a marketing machine into wear a turban, take Amrit, read from the guru, you know? And I, I think all of these practices are so beautiful, the path of Sikhi, you know, but why are, are they infused? I just find it so interesting to listen to stories of newer yoga students that get morphed into taking Amrit, into a whole lifestyle that is a ancient religion that people have family lineages of like why are we recruiting this and i just find it it's a question anyone listening i would really like mm-hmm. to get mm-hmm. some information and hear your lens yeah. anyway keep going yeah, yes like um when i decided to get the amrit in 2017 this is a fun episode of my experience in the community so um I woke up one day at the summer solstice and I said, I'm going to take the Amrit this year. <laughs> um, so I go, um, I request an interview, a pre-interview um, to, I, I, I was really, very, very naive. I thought that, you know, you go there, you take the Amrit. No, you have to go through a process, <laughs> the Amrit. So I get this interview with uh, this guy. Um, I don't remember his name. Uh, and I don't think he was like... Uh, um in bad faith but still i don't know um but he was one of these uh, uh, amrita and uh, he asked me um a few questions which i found very embarrassing to share certain informations with him because we we knew each other because we did uh, um seva at the cabin at the summer solstice together so he was part of the sevadar taking care of the cabin of the facilitators at the at the summer solstice and winter solstice so we knew each other but still um i i felt like embarrassed to share my sexual activity with a man <laughs> um that wasn't my friends to start with so it wasn't really a, a, a friends like a long friends and uh, i had to tell him if i had um Stopped <laughs> having pre-marriage um, uh, sexual um, intercourse, and I was like, "Where well, I don't have a, well, I don't have a boyfriend." So yeah, I would say <laughs> I stopped, but I'm and this was 2017, so probably I was already the kind of in my 40s, and I said, but I'm 40, definitely I'm not a virgin. <laughs> um, so I had to say, open up to these things. And uh, then I had to tell him if I had mm, used drugs in the past or drink alcohol. And I told him I never used any drugs in my life. And he doubted me, like, oh, that's impossible. And it's, no, I've never even tried Hot in my life, like not even once, because when my friends used to smoke, I used to take uh, get heavy headache, so and getting nauseous, so I didn't want to try, and I never smoked a cigarette because I really, I grew up with two parents who smoked like uh, 
crazy so i really don't like smoking the act of smoking so no i'm never used to uh, never did any uh, substance uh, of any kind um also that in italian uh, um, we we call drugs i know that in english drugs are more medications but <laughs> pass me these uh, words um and then um, about alcohol and i said well it's not that i've never drank alcohol i used to drink some wine when we were in the countries in in italy where, where we have very good wines um but it's not like i drink regularly every day and actually since i have been practicing kundalini yoga i haven't touched any wine um, and then it came, and this is the fun part, then it came the talk about hair. <laughs> so I have long hair since I was born, like uh, I never cut, I just trim them, um, trim it, sorry, <laughs> in Italian hair is plural, so I trim it to healthy, and, but I have long hair to my buttocks basically. So before kundalini yoga it's not that it came with kundalini yoga but i kept uh, cutting my body hair because uh, i explained to him i have a skin condition that i needed to keep my skin always uh, clean and very well hydrated because uh, i i have the tendency to develop rashes so if i don't keep it clean like uh, from hair and everything i have a very delicate skin um it's 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 very uncomfortable for me and it's not aesthetic it's it can be very painful um so i explained this to him and he said well no if you want to take the amrit you have to let your hair grow you have to accept yourself in your total beauty let me uh, tell you Talk to someone, maybe another woman that likes you, like you, has to accept to keep <laughs> um, her, her there. And I said, well, yeah, let's talk to another woman. It doesn't change that my skin needs special care. But yes, so it turns out that this woman was at 20 years old. I'm not going to say her name because it's a famous, very famous in the uh, Kundalini yoga community. And she's blonde, blue eyes, fair skin, blonde hair, <laughs> almost no hair on her body. Notice that I am Italian from the South. I, and I am Italian, but I have a very fair skin to be Italian because so for some reason I got the only drop of Danish blood that there is in my family only one white in my family, but do have dark hair. So try to imagine a woman, aside from my skin that needs care, but I am white like snow and I have dark hair. Honestly, you can tell me whatever you want, but no, <laughs> cut it. <laughs> So I have this beautiful woman, very kind. And as soon as she arrives, I start laughing um, because my sense of humor has always been very, <laughs> that one hasn't been touched. 
And um, she started to talk to me and she started to tell me how beautiful I am anyway with my hair uh, long and everything. And I was like, look, I don't need to know how beautiful I am. Um, but you're talking, you're 20 years old, you're talking to a 40 years old woman. And I don't want to take anything out of you because probably you are very wise and very smart. I can see that absolutely. But I have my experience. I know my body. I know my beauty where it's come from. The reason that, that you know, I need to take the, 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 the hair out is because my skin needs it, you know, and it's not an excuse. Then you can think of whatever you, you, you want, but it's not an excuse. And I actually, I tried for a, for a couple of years to keep the hair long, but literally I couldn't tolerate any anymore. It was kind of itchy and uh, it, I had it like basically my, my skin was getting full, not white anymore. So anyway, um, the man returns after this report and he said, well, I don't think you're ready for the Amrit. When you are ready to leave your hair free to grow on your body, um, you can return. I do suggest you to watch a video of a woman that let her beard to grow. And I was like, what are you talking about? She is broke. You should talk to her. And she was actually at that summer solstice. This woman is an Indian woman who decided to just let the beard grow. And I do respect this woman is an amazing uh, woman, but that wasn't the same case, you know, and that's her choice to make to, 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 to let that, uh, the beard to grow. So I was refused because uh... <laughs> you refused. So I just want to pause and just flag a couple yes. of things. One is that you're talking about agency. You're talking about your autonomous choice to choose whatever is right for your body and just the subtle ways in which that autonomy kind of gets, you know, slowly infiltrated in subtle ways, collectively, personally. In So there's that. But I also want to say that we're talking about sacred personal choice practices that one takes for an ancient religion that are very, very sacred choices to make. And I'm just still once again astounded that, um, you know, choices around like reading Japji, choosing to, to, to not cut your hair, choosing to live a sacred path of a Sikhi, you know, these are wonderful choices, but the fact that they're so infused to kind of from a marketing, from an outside lens, it looks like it's like a marketing trap. A yoga student comes in, in whatever region around the world they come in, and there's this, this slow kind of selling to move them towards this sacred path of, of Sikhi. And I'm wondering why is this happening? Because it doesn't have to be all infused in that, but I hear what you're talking about in like, one day I decided I'm going to take Amrit, you know, and I watched this as a teacher for a few years. People would get a name, wear a turban, as if these are commodities to sell. You know, this is a 500 year old plus culture. It's not for us to commoditize and sell, you know, and 
horrible that that is what is not only historically taken place in 3HO, Sikh Dharma, what YB instilled, but also continually happening in communities around the world right now. Names are sold. People are sold into this idea that they have to take these paths of a, of a, of another culture's religious choices as a part of choosing to be a part of a yoga community. community. Um, And note on other things that I didn't know about taking the Amrit is that when you take the Amrit, you get assigned like five Amritas that check on you that you're actually doing and keeping the promise. And I was like, what? (laughs) It was so interesting. It was, no, I don't want anybody to check on me. Because noted that as a dancer, and I was very well known for being the, the dancer in the community, the one that was moving the hips in the top tent. Uh, so I was like, um, um, you know, can you dance with your turban on? Can you offer your classes while your 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 head is covered? Belly dance. There are so many belly dancers who dance because there are um, some of them are Muslims, so they cover their head. Some of them are Jewish and they cover their head. So there is no problem in dancing with, uh, um, with the head covered. And I was like, yeah, no problem. What's the issue? Actually, it's very nice sometimes to have you know, a fancy turban while you're dancing. Um, actually, the folkloristic dancers in Egypt, they cover their head. They have like a, um, um, a chuni, we would say, in uh, in uh, in Gurmukhi, something to cover their head is part of the the costume. So it's not something unusual, tra- traditionally speaking, that a dancer covers her head. So I just that wasn't the problem. All these faiths are beautiful choices. I just the commodification mm-hmm. of it is just really mortifying me, and I'm not even doing it justice in explaining it. But as I hear you talking about it. Like being a yoga student that comes in and, and practice meditation. I mean, the West has obviously commodified yoga and meditation for for forever too. But what haven't we colonized, right? As yes. Anyway, and notes, uh, at that time when I requested my Amrit, I I used to chant Japji eleven times a day. And I used to um, read the Sukhmani Sahib, and I knew Jabji by heart, so memory. So I was really into the practice of Sikhism because I was actually um, memorizing the other prayers. And, uh, and Jabji was really a huge part of my, uh, of my sadhana because 11 times, uh, at the beginning was taking me like three hours <laughs> and then uh, you know in, in uh, 10 minutes it was done that's how fast i was so um wow. because of my it, it was basically or uh engraved in uh in in, in my brain so Refusing someone something so special, at least this, you know, Amrit is special for those that request it. Um, I know that some people get into the Amrit uh, without really knowing what they are doing, but they, they get called and need some healing and they think that receiving the Amrit, that energy, 
um, that blessing can maybe um, define changes in their life. So a lot of people go for really for healing, for support, for because they have no other way. They, they see the Amrit as uh, the last possibility to come out of uh, some terrible situations. I, I went into Amrit uh, uh, because uh, I, I was cold and someone uh, tells me, no, you are not ready because you cut your body hair. It's like, I, are you out of your mind? So I went back to, uh, to the, um, under the big top and there was my one, one of my friends and he's an Indian guy. And um, he's still a friend of mine. And, um, and I tell him um, what happened to me. And he used to come to all my classes, uh, the summer solstice, uh, that's how we met. And uh, he said, uh, don't worry. And that's what changed and made me laugh. So I don't, I don't say his name because I don't want to get him in trouble, but he knows that I'm talking about him. So he said, don't worry, you have two possibilities. Or you go to London and you take the Amrit there, you just ask and they will give you the Amrit. They're super happy to give you the Amrit over there. Or you take the Amrit here and when they say all the promise that you have to make, you cross your fingers. <laughs> and he made me laugh. And he said, there is no, nothing is so serious and nothing is so, um, street it shouldn't be like that you can dance with your turban on and you will be beautiful with your turban on but if it's necessary you can take your turban off and he said regarding your hair god isn't gonna be upset with you neither the guru if you cut your hair so just you know, do what you uh, feel you want to do but if you feel this is too uh, restrictive you know, just wait. When, if you go to London, you can you can have your Amrit over there, and uh, kind of put me in a smile on my face because an Indian person, a Sikh, um, tells me these words, and uh, and I think his family is quite religious. His wife is uh, an activist, in, you know in. In, in, in a certain way, uh, you know, human rights and uh, diversity rights. So I, you know, that he tells me these, uh, you know, it, it healed me what it was, you know, the damage that was done five months before. Uh, wow. I decided that that day I, I received my Amrit in my own way and God, the Guru gave me directly the Amrit and I'm a free woman. Um, and I dance with turban, with no turban, you know, now I dance completely with my head and my hair free. And uh, I put makeup, I cut my hair. <laughs> um, I want you, you know, to take us back to when you were getting in and you did teacher training. I know you have some stories about becoming a teacher trainer, as well as becoming a lead trainer, as well as what Shakti dance training was like. And yes. for a lot of our listeners, a, we don't even know a lot about Shakti dance. I know I saw it a little bit at European Yoga Festival, but mm -hmm. I didn't know about the full teacher training. But give us a lens into that earlier and anything more you want to share about kind of like the way in 
because you're yes. already sharing kind of your way out. But yes, we want a little more on the inside because <laughs> you have some really important parts of your story that I want you to get at. So, the, um, well, they teach the. Okay, let me explain first what's uh, what's Shakti dance. Shakti dance is uh, a yoga dance practice a technology that was developed based on the teaching of kundalini yoga but it's not kundalini yoga and it's not in k rai as far as i know and i don't know if now k rai took it and stirred under their umbrella i don't know who quote developed um, it who started it um, well my former teacher and i really mark my former teacher because she's the one that made the most damage um her name is sarah aftar sarah aftar olivier she's a, a british woman she's from wales and she was the wife of my kundalini yoga teacher so they basically entered in my life together almost together Sadhana Singh, my teacher, came first, and then um, Saraftar, I met her like a few months after I met uh, um, uh, Sadhana. And uh, so it seems that uh, the way how I used to teach Shakti dance, the history and where it was created, it is the way how it's Saraftar creation. Uh, it's actually a beautiful practice, Shakti dance. It's really well um, technologically structured. Um, so she created this system out of elements of the linear yoga um, asanas and movements. And everything that supports that practice, so all the teachings come from Kundalini yoga. She met with Yogi Bhajan. Yogi Bhajan blessed her. She asked permission to create her own stuff, her own method. Yogi Bhajan said, yes, there is something in there which I don't know exactly, but something happened between Yogi Bhajan and my teacher. Uh, but she, for example, is one of the women that refused him. And um, so as far as I know, Yogi Bhajan got quite pissed <laughs> uh, for, for, for her wrestling hands. But she developed, and it seems Yogi Bhajan, though, forgave her and gave her this permission to go and create the old dance. Note that what I just saying is unknown, like nobody knows that Yogi Bhajan kind of tried to attract after into his harem and because she never talked about it someone else told me about it and um so um basically after return to uh, to england and start to develop this system then she married a guy in germany she moved to germany and she took on this practice when she comes to Italy and marry my uh, Kundalini Yoga teacher, she started to um, create the teacher training, which is uh, fully based on the Kundalini Yoga teacher training, of course, with other topics, because it's dance. We have uh, in the Kundalini Yoga, in the Shakti dance teacher training, we have some elements that come from the Atha Yoga tradition as well. So there are other integration from other parts, but the core teachings, especially what we say to women, 
comes from the Kundalini Yoga practice. So when I started my teacher training, um, I started my teacher training at the end of 2001, and I finished my teacher training kind of mid uh, halfway to 2002. I got my certification in 2003 because the teacher with who I took my training refused to um, to, to, to recognize the, uh, the fees to KRI. He wanted to be independent. Um, but this created a few conflict and problems with us. So they had to resolve some issues. So I received my certification a year later um, from the day of graduation. But basically while I was doing the training, my then the, the teacher that became my official teacher came to teach in my, in my training. The lead trainer of that training that I said the name before was one of these, uh, let's say, Gatka, the warriors that used to do Gatka and teach Gatka. So everything was a fight in that teacher training. And it was a fight between the people that were part of the studio to start with. So they were his students. And these were the very first teacher training happening in Italy. There weren't many teacher trainings. So I took really the very first teacher training in Italy. And um, so and I wasn't part of the, of the group. So I was one of two people that weren't part of the community. And they never missed chance to remind us that we were the outsider. Mm. And so we had to be retrained to be welcomed in it. And we had to recognize the teacher as the teacher and uh, be a warrior and uh, other things. And it was all about this is us, the other yoga students are other yoga studios. And it's us against them because it's mm. the warrior mentality. Mm. <laughs> Always competing. More things that proved you inward. Can you? Can, do you remember any? Um, I try to really forget that experience because mm. it was in in a, a not healthy at all. And uh, I have very mm, weird memory. Like this teacher is also known for doing the the war uh, sword therapy. So to be part of the community, you had to undergo the sword therapy. The sword therapy was he uh, was very good. You know, I cannot say that he wasn't, but it was pretty scary. Sword it was sword, sword therapy. Yeah, sword therapy. So okay. basically, you had to lay down in the middle of the room, and they would create a large circle around you they would drum um the musicians would drum and the teacher um guru shabbat de santis used to dance with the swore uh, around you like doing the movement of the gatka so very fast movement with the swore um all around you to cut negative energy to clear your aura it was a very very powerful but you had the sword like this far from your nose <laughs> and 
like to give you an example, he cut my teacher, the, the man that, that became my teacher later on, the, the mala. He used, he, he came so close that he cut off the, the mala away. And once he cut himself by doing the, the movement too, 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 too fast. So it was kind of, uh, you had to show the courage to go under his uh, swords during this uh, therapy. Of course, I never went. <laughs> I never even, I'm fine. I know my courage, I, it's okay. And uh, it was a constant, every single weekend, we were reminded that we, we had to, um, and this is also part of, because I want to talk about this, this is also part of the 3HO and KRI um, type of a structure. They want you to ask you like a loyalty um, proof. Like you, you have to show your loyalty and the way how you show it is going under the therapy, under the sword or by, I remember well because it was 20 years ago and I literally did, uh, the teacher training ended on a Sunday at 2 p.m five minutes to two i was running toward the train station i didn't even wait to say the last satnam i said oh i had to run and i ran very very fast i just wanted to complete the thing and um i wanted to i never put foot into that yoga studio after that experience because it was constantly a reminder that I needed to be loyal, that I needed to show that I was part of the community, that I had to show up for classes with, uh, with him and uh, um, some other stuff that in this moment I, I, I don't remember. But who knows that yoga studio because the name is very well known in the community mm. in, in Italy knows. And he's one of the teachers that right now in Italy is basically attacking everybody that is speaking against Yogi Bhajan. And he's the one calling everybody. And he doesn't know that I'm speaking because we are not connected. I blocked him some many years ago. And he's Is the one calling everybody. You're saying yes. Okay. okay. He's the one calling everybody traitors because we are speaking against Yogi Bhajan. This is current day. You're talking about present day. Yeah, yeah, present day. Yes, yeah. he's and the one saying to everyone, "You are traitors." This is currently happening in, in Italy, and I want to mm -hmm. want listeners to really understand that the way that KRI or the way that the teacher training system is set up in general is that if somebody's at the status of like lead senior trainer, whatever the the language is then they can run a training, but they have to have this kind of senior teacher associated. To be able to yes. run a training in your area, you have to have like this senior teacher yes. and like these components. And the reason I'm pointing this out is because there's like a general kind of body yeah. of work that you can draw <laughs> from, but then the local teacher trainer, whoever runs that, it really changes the flavor of the delivery of the material. So kind of the same way that YB dispersed knowledge in the beginning and different students ate it up and, and taught it differently based on their personality, their unprocessed trauma, etc. That was like my parents, right? My parents' yeah. generation. The same thing is happening present day. Different teacher trainings all around the world that are Kundalini Yoga KRI approved are all based 
very loosely on this structure that's given and can be filled in on the gaps based on who's leading it. So there are some serious megalomaniacs in the world mm -hmm. that are taking the most predatory aspects of KRI, the teachings, and creating some really weird atmospheres in their teacher training lineages. And these kind of denial stories are being perpetuated around the world based on these little bubbles that are being created of the kundalini yoga marketing machine you know industry dharma marketing machine that's that's continuing around the world and i'm trying to sum it up so that we all know that yes. this is happening in our own region to whatever extent on the continuum of completely narcissistic and crazy to loosely available and paying attention and we all have to become more alerted and speak out to this so that what you're yes. saying is astounding. You knew that was a toxic environment and scooch, but that didn't necessarily get you out of Kundalini yoga. That was just a no, taste because uh, you know, like everybody's saying now, you know, the teaching is, is good, you know, the practice is good, the technique is good. Yes, it's good. Try to imagine that an abuser gives you something that is no good, you know, on top of the fact that he's an abuser. It gives you something that is ridiculously bad, you know, why? Yogi Bhajan was extremely, he wasn't a stupid man. He was very, very smart. Like most of the psychopath and narcissistic personality, they are very, very smart people. They know how to manipulate, how to market their stuff. And they know that in order to get you in, into their web, they need to give you something so efficient, so uh, powerful that you can almost, you cannot renounce it. Mm. Because the struggle that I had when I broke uh, free from this is that I had a withdrawal <laughs> symptoms. Like I really, I was on... Uh, heroin for 20 years and I, I i literally i was really losing my mind i thought i was persecuted for three years i thought and i was deeply convinced that i was persecuted and the only thing that could help me was doing that meditation doing that um, and as soon as i felt the pull to do a meditation then I had like a nauseous feeling and, and then I understood that something wasn't right. No, I cannot do that meditation. So it was a pull and push, pull and push constantly. I found my equilibrium because at a certain point I said, well, I had to find something to balance this energy because I woke up in the middle of the night and I literally saw my energy leaving my body. And I said, if I don't do anything, I'm going to die in less than six months. Mm. Because I'm an energy healer, I see energy and I see my energy. So I called my friends and I said, you have to help me. She helped me from this one because I couldn't even do healing on myself. I was completely powerless. I didn't know where to start. I was desperate. So she helped me. And there I started to practice Qigong. And it happened by like this, watching a video on YouTube. And I thank that day every single morning when I wake up and I do practice my Qigong and it, it helped me to go through the withdrawal <laughs> and uh, 
reorganize and reharmonize my energy. But waking up every day and feeling persecuted is something like I literally I drank people chanting mantra on me, like brainwashing mantra, like they wanted to hurt me. I used to, you know, to 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 feel like I was. Uh, people wanted to hurt me, and these shouldn't. That that happened immediately after. Immediately uh, after I left the community, so something is uh, wrong. Energy speaking, um, magnetically speaking, because Yogi Bhajan remember that I said I started to dream about him from the beginning and I didn't stop because I dreamt so many times about Yogi Bhajan I dreamt him calling me mm. and telling me to show up in places so I'm not a um, you know a delusional woman I'm just a sensitive woman and um, I get messages um, sensitive you know, clairvoyant messages. So I do receive these messages. And uh, these things influenced me. It, it, it play, they, play, um, they played a very important part in my choice in, in, into the community. If we return to the beginning, when I did my teacher training in Kundalini Yoga, and then I met my teacher, my Shakti dance teacher, um, I started to practice Shakti dance with her. And the Fadishman allowed me to open up and tell her and share with her my childhood, my childhood trauma, my difficulties in uh, relating with my parents, with my family, which is terrible because you are a child or a young woman and you don't know how to speak to your parents because so weird to their eyes and you know they don't know how to speak to you and you know how to speak to them so the, the, it's a difficult relationship that I had since I was a child is not something that it happened when I started Kundalini Yoga so I was in these um, I wanted to be listened I wanted to be accepted for who I was I wanted to be loved I don't know I wanted to be recognized because I had this big profound feeling that I, I didn't have any of these things I wanted to be supported and in Saraftar I found that support until I realized that when it, it was time she was using this intimate uh, sharing against me um, so she used my weaknesses to make me weaker or to make me feel wrong or to make me feel she totally disempowered me over an, a period of time of almost 20 years. And when in 2017, I think it was the last time I talked to her, I literally told her, do not even try ever again to contact me because if you do it I'm gonna sue you and I'm gonna very bad so, like, I'm gonna lose it for 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 real um so I threatened her to do her if she would have contacted me again because you cannot use especially 
Um, it's the subtle art of power and manipulation is what it is. And it's from so a woman cool. and that and, yeah, and men and, and women are using it in our community historically because YB did. And it's so subtle that it's turning, it's using shame and guilt. And you're talking about you shared intimate aspects of your life with your mentor, your teacher, your yeah. guide. And then when that information is used against you, it's so spiritually manipulative so it's really a big thing for you to recognize it kudos to you and for you to set a boundary like that kudos yeah um i was going through some financial distress because it's something important when something it doesn't align with you and in my case was kundalini yoga because i work for the sacred feminine and you cannot teach, you cannot represent a discipline that is actually destroying the sacred feminine. So I went on teaching this practice, calling the sacred feminine, but I wasn't really supported by this practice. And then I realized why. And I remember talking, telling my Shakti dance teacher, look, I'm going to send you the royalty. Just have a patience because I have a medical bill to, to pay. And then I will send you the royalty. Um, because you have to pay the royalties all, also for the Shakti dance teacher training. These royalty things really drive me nuts. But anyway, and, um, and she replied to me, if you were punctual with your royalty, you wouldn't have any problem um, with money. This is your karma. And that's when I lost it because uh, I had a, um, I was starting to have a panic attack at that time, literally waking up in the middle of the night without being able to breathe. I had to call my friends who was living in Dubai because I was in the U.S. Dubai was the only time zone who could answer okay. to me uh, while it was night in the U.S. And I, was, I couldn't call my boyfriend because my boyfriend was like 1 a.m., 2 a.m. He was sleeping. He had to go to work. I cannot call him every night. Um, I was very considerate of him and she answers me and I, ha I actually ended up to, to the hospital to, to get these things checked up because I never had panic attack in my life, never. And so that stress over stress, then there was uh, some other situations and, um, and I remember I said, no, I have no karma with money. I'm actually a very prosperous person. And before starting Kundalini Yoga, I had money coming to me like this. I have no problem with money. You have problem with money. Kundalini Yoga has problem with money. money. I don't. I do have money as a projection of me of having problem with money. And it's the same thing that I bring from my family. So I started to see that there is a correlation be, like between Kundalini family and my family, my original family. So that was a sign. So I stood up to her and told her, don't try to contact me ever again. You have lost me forever. And I'm not going to represent Shakti dance anymore here in the US or in any other part of the world. Just let me go. I don't try because I really go, I'm going to sue you if you do. If you, you know, harass me or you ask me for anything, we're done. So um, it was, you know, it was just, uh, um, 
things that extended over a period of time. And again, being Taurus, I have so much patience <laughs> that I let it be for 20 years. And I would like people to get out of these systems before, you know, when I spoke out to my community, to people that have trained with me, my students replied to me, well, the technology works. I never liked the teacher. Uh, I just mm, look at the teaching. Yeah, that's exactly what Yogi Bhajan used to say. Don't look at me, look at the teaching. So you don't put the, uh, the observation point on you and your behavior. You shift the observation point on the teaching. But he's the one giving the teaching. The teaching comes from, from him. So they, are, they, they have the essence of his soul. And I'm not talking about the practical aspect. I'm talking about the theory, the philosophy behind it yes. that supports the practical part. So when you do the teaching, when you apply the teaching and you continue to say to a woman, don't go having sex around because you will, have, you will hold the aura of a man in your, uh, in, your, in your aura for seven years. Then you have to do like Kirtan Kriya for two years and a half, for two, two hours and a half for three years to clear. You are limiting the, the freedom of this woman to also make a mistake. And then why should be just us? They don't hold our space, our energy. No, they forget it after 21 days, maybe sooner. And, and this is constantly reminded. This is constantly, um, it's, it's in every single class we practice. Right. So unless we detach completely the teaching of Kundalini Yoga, everything the Yogi Bhajan has taught from whatever we practice, there is no growth, there is no um, expansion, there is no evolution. And that's one of the reasons why I stepped away because the 3HO and the KRI continues to support the image and the presence of Yogi Bhajan. They continue. And I personally don't want to support any of it, including the practice. I can't agree more. I think that the, the predatory infusion that's all wrapped up in any aspect of goodness that's in the teachings is so hard to dissect and diffuse and separate. But the toxic part is very, very toxic, especially to the woman and to the feminine and the subjugation that's infused and the shame basing that's infused and other things that really disconnect us from our own sense of trusting ourselves yes. and our yes, own definitely. will mm -hmm. and our own soul pulse. And it's a very confusing thing because it's wrapped up within this kind of golden veil mm -hmm you're really speaking to the heart of, of things that have been unraveling in me over many, many years. But since all this came forward, it made me realize how many hooks, subconscious, dark, predatory hooks are actually in this body of work. And if we don't look at the result of these teachings, meaning the last 50 years of the first, second, third, fourth generation, all the kids born in and all the students, if we don't look at the result of what's happened in our bodies, 
then we're not paying attention because what it means is we've been available to brainwashing to an extent that we can't even feel the difference between ourselves and what we've been trained to be. Yes, absolutely. Um, I want to talk about uh, my becoming a trainer, uh, aside from being an instructor. And I think this also gives an idea of the hierarchy um, within the, the, the structure of a teacher training. Because again, the most uh, vulnerable people in this community are those that actually are not part of the academy that never enter full body into the entire structure, they remain a little bit far. So they have this kind of um, morphing happening, but not completely. And those are the people that continues to say, oh, I do the practice, I don't follow the teacher. But they are in the same danger as anybody else because they can, I, I see all the time in Los Angeles, there are at least two more teachers that should be kicked out. And yet they are still teaching. They have a thousand and thousand of students. Mm. And I know these teachers personally, I know what they do. And most of their students, uh, um, they are not completely into but they are completely brainwashed. Okay, let's and, pause. I want I want to get some better yes. frame on this. What Simone is talking about right now is yes. that within Kundalini Yoga teacher training model systems, so there's the Siri Singh Sahib Corporation, which is kind of like the head honcho organization, the religious corp that houses the nonprofits and different business entities. Some of one of those is called KRI Kundalini Research Institute. One of those is called 3HO Healthy Happy Holy Organization. And then there's Sikh Dharma of the Western Hemisphere. And, and then beneath that are lots of other businesses like Yogi Tea. What she's what Simone is talking about right now is that within the structure of teacher training, there's something called the Aquarian Academy. Is that correct? Yes. And the Aquarian Academy is like the body of like the professionals. You have to work really hard in as a student and as a teacher before you're accepted into the Aquarian Academy. So it's like the echelon level that teachers are striving to. And I don't know much about this because I never wanted to get a part of this hierarchy because of my own story. But Jimena talked about it on her episode earlier. And Simona, now keep going. Now give us yes. give us this lens. Now you're talking so, about Los Angeles at this point. You're not talking. Yeah, no, about I'm Italy. talking. A, a, just open a parenthesis. I'm just saying, people that never enter the academy are vul vulnerable. Sometimes it's even more. And I have seen this happening very clearly in Los Angeles, where I know there are teachers quite a dangerous teacher still operating with thousands and thousands of, of students and they are not in the academy but they are fully brainwashed so when you enter the academy and you really have to accept certain things you get interviewed almost like the amrit interview so when i started the academy i was in the first uh, group of people in italy because my teacher my lead trainer did the grandfathering. So he was the trainer of trainers, uh, um, grandfathered. <laughs> uh, grandfathering is when uh, they give you the title without going through the training, just because they know you and you have done so many meetings with the organization and blah, blah, blah. So, um, so 
I, I asked my teacher what, what are the requirements. And uh, so I was declared associate in 2012. I started to, to request the, to enter the academy, I think in 2006, 2007. So the requirements were um, having 1000 hours of teaching experience and uh, that's it and then pass an interview with uh, um like a lead trainer that was supporting my my mentor like it was uh, with uh, no it was an interview with one of the directors of KRI at that time it was Tartaran Singh from Espanola and um so i i i, I got to speak with Tartaran Singh that was in Rome at the time and he asked so many questions and he asked me, he was fun, but he asked me, do you eat uh, uh, meat? And I said, no, no, I'm vegetarian. Are you sure? Like, no, even because I'm Italian, no, 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 even prosciutto or um, fish in the can, like a tonno. Um, tuna. And, uh, and I said, no, 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 I don't, I don't eat uh, any prosciutto or anything, salami, anything. Um, and he laughed and, and you know, because he, he knows Italians and he knows Italian teachers. They are fully, completely vegetarians. Um, so we, um, we talk and then. Since I graduated and I said to teach or I graduated because I was in, Italy, in, in Turin in my town and I needed to, uh, to have people to talk about this discipline. So I started to teach before I graduated from my teacher, teacher training, but those hours didn't count. So I answered him, I have 9,000 and uh, something like 9,990, no, 9,990, something like this, 9990, something like that. So I missed 10 hours. I'm sorry, sometimes with numbers, I still have issues in uh, in English 1990 uh 19 sorry how do you say 9990 <laughs> yeah 1990 or 1990 yes. you're talking about you're basically 10 points away from whatever yes you needed to 90, reach yeah. to achieve exactly the next level yeah sorry because uh numbers still confuse my mind I uh, when I think in Italian translation English, is um... not easy English is not no. your first language and you're doing very well so thank you for speaking English <laughs> <laughs> um thank you for having patience with my my English so um and he looked at me and he said, well, you have to complete these 10 hours before I can admit you into the uh, academy. And I said, well, I teach every single day, twice a day. I'm going to complete it next week. And I said, well, I'll reach out to next week. So they made me wait for a week to be accepted into the program. Done. Fine. I, I did it. And so they accepted in and I started my, uh, my path. Note that um, the, the path was something like you, you do the program for about two years and then you can start to teach as in, immediately they give you the associate level after two years. One year you have to assist in silence 
Um, and one year you can intervene requested when called by the trainer, by the mentor. And sorry, my cat. <laughs> and, um, and after that, you graduate as an associate. And then as an associate, you can start teaching two days per week per, per teacher training. So two days are about 16 hours. I think it depends on how they organize the teacher training. But if you teach to one weekend, Saturday and Sunday, and you teach for eight hours each day, the 16 hours, that's the, the, the maximum that you can teach as an associate. So um, I go through my first year, the second year, and then two years become three. And then it become four. <laughs> But I start to teach. So my teachers continue to send me to, to teacher training because he knew who I was. So he knew he could trust my professional experience. And at the same time, I was doing also the Shakti Dance mentoring program. So I was in the academy for Shakti Dance. So I was doing, I was doing a lot of experience with Shakti Dance as well as a trainer. So two years became four. And I started to ask but shouldn't be, you know, shouldn't I become a professional? Oh, no, you, you cannot become a professional because you haven't done the level two. And I was like, it wasn't a requirement when I signed up for the academy. So when I started my, honey, when I started my academy program, the second level, the five second levels so weren't a requirement to become a professional. When did they become uh, a did they become um, a requirement? Oh yes, sometimes along the way, like last year, why nobody told me that that was a requirement? So basically, it became a requirement to 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 in order to have the professional level to have all five uh, modules of. Um, of uh, uh, of level second two. level, right? There's five different courses for level yes. two, and then which, you can enter into the academy at the third level, which means you have to spend like three years teaching for free or something, right? Exactly. While you are paying, because then while you, you're paying, you are you're paying, paying to, you're to paying. be able to not get paid. You're paying to do seva for three years in, in as a volunteer in lead training. Uh, basically, when you, you my teacher was way more honest. Like he, it, during his training, when I was when he was mentoring me, I was doing seva, so I was assisting him and making food for everybody um, because I was the one cooking well. So I was super. Besides, I was working with him as a personal assistant, so I was really you know, hands-on and everything at the yoga studio with other people. Of course, I was the only one, but um, you know, uh, I was really familiar with uh, with the with the place. But when he sent me to teach into other teacher training, in that case, he would uh, uh, ask uh, the, the, the organizer to pay me the, the, the fee as, uh, um, as, a, as an associate trainer. That wasn't even close to be enough for my personal need, uh, even less to pay for a second level that 
in the US is more than $1,000 a module. In Italy is, at that time was a 600 per module. And in Italy is a lot of money, $600, 600 euros. It's not like, a, and it's 3,000 all together, 3,000 euros all together. And um, so I wasn't making that much money. I was sustaining myself. Um, but it wasn't balanced. It's not like I was uh, getting rich and I was making more money with Shakti dance, teaching Shakti dance, because at the time I was traveling all over Europe with Shakti dance. I was one of the very few trainers available. So after was sending me to teach almost everywhere together with other few trainers. So I was making more money, but I was so busy with Shakti Dance that I didn't have any weekend left for the second level of Kundalini Yoga. So I I took one, I, I took conscious communication. Um, and then I, I had to wait several years to take a second one that, ne- that was never recognized by K-Rai. And I took it at Yoga West in LA, um, and it was a conscious relationship. And um, so when I requested it in 2017, I started to organize a teacher training in New Jersey with a lead trainer from New York. And I requested to teach as a professional because I was organizing the teacher training. I was doing the, the entire work. I was taking the responsibility to pay everyone because it was under my business name. The literature takes the name responsibility, but I am the organizer, money flow to my business. So I was taking the physical responsibility. So I asked, look, I have been teaching for so long and I don't find it right. And I talked to Kerai, I don't find it right to be um, still an associate and to teach as an associate uh, um, when uh, when I signed up for my program, the two, the, the level two uh, weren't a requirements. I think that's something that shouldn't be applied to my application. You can apply to new people that come in, but you cannot apply it to mine. Note this is very important because the second level weren't for the professional. Uh, sorry, I made a mistake. The second level were a prerequisite to enter the, the academy. So to be classified in the process to become a trainer. So they didn't even want to give me the associate level. So I had to fight for the associate level. I had to sit down with her bhajan car uh, in Espanola and tell her, I, I think this is incorrect. And it, that's why I took it in, a, I started in 2007 and I took my associate in 2012 because I had to fight for my associate level because they didn't want to give it to me because I didn't have the second level. And even worse, when I requested the professional level, because I had only two, one of which didn't appear in their um, uh, records. So they, they thought that I had only one. And I kept repeating them. I took two. You had to contact Yoga West. I took the, the training with them. And um, 
they never returned any call to me and they said that if I wanted a professional level, I had to go through the entire level two. And I was desperate because uh, I could barely make the money to pay my rent in the U.S. You know that the rent is uh, challenging, living by myself, traveling all over the U.S. to teach dance especially and uh, organizing teacher training alone because the helpers uh, decided that I was a very bad person. So they left me <laughs> in the middle of everything and it's fine. Um, Who's the, who is me... that? Who is that? Um, these two were two of my students um, that they thought I was making so much money out of Kundalini yoga teacher training that they thought I was kind of stealing from them and wow. I had lied to them and um, and I was they thought I was preventing them to teach during uh, Kundalini yoga teacher training. Uh, because I told them, you actually cannot teach during the Kundalini Yoga teacher training. K. Rai will not allow you to do it. They contacted K. Rai and K. Rai confirmed that I was right. Um, we figured out something with the lead trainer to let them teach the, the public class and, and allow the studio to continue uh, profit during the teacher training to um, by opening the the, the the class, the morning classes to external students. Um, but in the meantime, these two people uh, badmouthed me and um, gradually I started to lose um, uh, work and connections. And um, it's kind of a complicated situation because I was starting to, to say to these two people specifically that something was wrong in the Kundalini Yoga community that something wasn't right. And I was really opening up to them because I really trusted them. They had done so many programs with me. We had worked together very well with me. And I think there was like a fear that I was going to talk bad about Kundalini Yoga. So they were going to lose their students. And on the other side, I think they saw me making so much money um, out of a teacher training that I don't know, they wanted bigger piece uh, you mean their of, perception you know, their perception was that you were perception. making so much money because and, and it's not true because um and in fact people have no clue what's behind the teacher training the expenses um you know uh, I, if you if your profit is a 10 percent of what comes in you are lucky right because everything that goes into expenses into fees to pay right into fees to the lead trainers and the other trainers, the literature, and me being forced, the, the, the materials and the rent of the space. Um, Which all goes you know, to KRI or 3HO, one of the entities. So it's such an interesting yes. thing because all those payments go right back to these entities that yes. are all stacked on top of each other. And um, yeah, and ahead. they don't do anything for you. They have no service for you. I never received anything supporting um, for my work. Nothing, zero in twenty years. And in ten years as a trainer, I received zero support um, and service zero, inexistent. I had to obey to their guidelines, even to do um, a flyer, uh, a brochure. 
I'm a web designer. I know how to make a flyer. I know how to build websites. I know how to um, to do these graphic things. I had to remake that brochure five times because they require you to put so much information that as a web, as a graphic designer, I was like, I cannot put so much information in a brochure or a flyer. It's and it's not, you know, it, it doesn't um, express well. So anyway, there are so, all these guidelines, uh, they do not give you something on their own. They don't even send you something that, um, you know, they, 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 they created and they provide that service for you. They want you to respect the guidelines. They want you to pay the fees. They want you to dress in a certain way. They want you to talk in a certain way. I have studied philosophy of yoga from other discipline. I was told, because that was my weekend, I had to teach philosophy, to teach solely what's in the book, Sikh Dharma. That's not yoga philosophy. That's Sikh Dharma. That's another thing. And we can talk about Sikh Dharma. There is no problem. But the yoga philosophy is something else. And that hurt me because I'm a creative person. I like to, to, to teach creatively and not just go by the book, everything that is written. I don't want to be repeating what Yogi Bhajan said because I'm not Yogi Bhajan. I want to instruct people. I want to educate people also to other reality. And that's when I, I, I really felt le, 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 the love for teaching live in me because uh, I, I literally was forced and the time I was first at the beginning of the training, I was supposed to teach two days. Then it became a day and a half, then a day. And basically I started to teach like 15 minutes there, 30 minutes there, you know, and it was, like really disempowering because I couldn't really express myself as a teacher. Mm. And that's broke me profoundly. And what broke me during that teacher training, which is the training, the last one I did, is that the hierarchy, I was the last person to Sorry, be considered. you're saying the hierarchy, right? The hierarchy? The hierarchy, yes. Yeah, yeah. yes the, the hierarchy. hierarchy. Okay, Sorry, because in Italian it's jerarchia, <laughs> hierarchy. I just wanted um, everyone to hear what you're saying, <laughs> to know it. So the hierarchy. Right. The hierarchy is, um, because I'm rolling out the things, so I'm not really paying attention to my English. When okay. I teach, I'm not like this. I know what I'm saying. I'm more clear. <laughs> But um, so basically the hierarchy is the lead trainer that you respect and honor and celebrate. Um, I have a deep uh, love for the lead trainer during the teacher training. Uh, she helped me uh, when I was in deep need of help. So fine, we know each other. We talked about these things. So I know where she stands and she knows where I stand. So I have uh, respect for her. And uh, um, but there were other elements in the teacher training that literally looked down to me and they didn't hide because I had the students coming to me and say, why did he do that? Why did he talk to you or didn't talk to you that way? Literally, there were other teachers involved uh, and um, that 
I wasn't even worth of talking to because I was an associate and I was the organizer. And, and yeah, uh, that's also kind of that level of disdain is displayed publicly. Yes, but not directly. And it's exactly. a form of gaslighting and shaming that I want to say our community is so well versed in that we mm -hmm. don't even know it's happening because it's happened for so long. We just think it's normal. Yes. And it's really an important point you're bringing up, the disdain, that kind of like, you know, you're not even worth being talked to. And yet I'm going to talk about you publicly and never actually address or give you the opportunity to respond because I'm so much better than you and you're this low life. And that's and what's this communicated. Was, this was done also to students because a couple of people, women, came to me and told me exactly what you just said. They were dismissed, like uh, there are issues, there are questions weren't important like almost like a get over it and that's something that really drove me mad and i talked to the lead trainer about it but there is a dynamic here that i don't want to enter be it, again because i understand where she's coming from so I, I understand why she told me what she told me it wasn't right but i understand why she she said something that she didn't want to talk about it and uh, fine but it remains the fact that I had to return to my students to say, look, um, if there is anything, just talk to me directly and I will try to address it personally. Um, I just think this is such an important point to flag because um, when this type of, of subversive, manipulative communication goes on for so long, and we all know why B did this publicly and to his students in various degrees, this has been replicated and now students yes. are repeating this. So it doesn't matter if you've never met YB. It doesn't matter if you quote, you don't think you follow him. It's all infused in the hierarchy of the way that these organizations and that the teachings get delivered. And it, it makes it very hard to respond because essentially you actually internalize this guilt and shame and yeah. that tyrant abusive voice becomes your own internally as if you're not doing enough sadhana, you're Akashic Records, this amazing teacher knows something about your karma or your destiny or your Akashic Records. And all this is Predator 101 right out of Why Be the Predator playbook. So listen to what Simona's sharing and then compare it to our own lived experience so that we can pierce our veils here because this stuff is still going on in teacher trainings and it's like Absolutely. ego megalomaniac every teacher trying to like have a sense of i i knew him personally that used to be the story for years for all these teachers right i knew him personally let me tell you my nostalgia story that makes me special in the inner circle and now nobody knew him you know it's like oh no but it's again it's it's such a it's trickery and it's so infused with enmeshment that it's really hard to start pulling apart your identity from having your teacher mentor guide spiritual leader basically publicly shame you in a very manipulative communicative way that makes you say what just happened? Is it my fault? Mm -hmm. 
And that literally is gaslighting 101 and narcissism 101. And we all have to get versed in this language because it's not going away. It's all around us in the world. Yeah, and notice that this happened because um, I w it was January, I think it was January 2018, and I went back to Italy for Christmas. And the weekend of the training was a weekend where, um, and there was a big storm in New York area. So the flights from, um, uh, from Italy couldn't leave because they, they, they closed the airport. So I delayed my departure a few days and I arrived one day after the training started because the training were Friday, Saturday and Sunday. So I arrived on, uh, I think I arrived on Saturday and I arrived literally from the airport there was still snow, it was still snow around us. So I was pulling my luggage from Italy um, and I jumped and I went directly to the studio and they were having a break. So I'm very, very polite because I, I wait for the break to, to happen before I enter the studio. And I find this teacher sitting there we have the same spiritual name, by the way. And that was a super mirror stuff happening. And he said, oh, hi, Dharma Singh. How are you? I'm so sorry. I'm so late. But, you know, they closed the airport. And I wrote an email before. And he was standing there drinking his water and was like, mm, hi. No Satnam. No welcome to the studio. How are you? Nothing. Zero. Looked from top down of course i was coming from the airport i was you know literally running from the airplane going through costume <laughs> um so going through two hours line through through costume to to, to you know to, to to enter the country and i arrived there and it was cold like a stone and the damage in 20 years was already done. So I was already thinking law about myself. I was already thinking I wasn't worth it, anything. I was already thinking I wasn't enough. I was already thinking that uh, I was a bad person, period. So there was no need for that reminder. <laughs> and um, I remember there and not knowing exactly what was happening. He stood up and he re-entered like I wasn't even in the room. He didn't say to anyone that I was in. And the students turned and, oh, hi, Dharma. So because students are always innocent to me, um, especially in teacher training, because they come, they pay, they listen to everything we say. Some of them have more personality and they say, ah, that one is not quite right. But most of them are very, very respectful. Even if they don't agree, they do not argue with you. Or maybe if they feel more comfortable, they will ask you some clarification about it. And also that I'm very open-minded and yet I had this tricky mind about the teaching. So I was like, kind of doubling my open mind and at the same time I was also projecting this teaching onto people it was super messy it was really really messy because uh, 
that day I said, I, I can't take this anymore. I can't not continue to be treated like I do not exist. I'm not enough. I cannot continue to be dished and devalued so, so much. It's not right. That's not what, what I wanted in the first place by teaching this practice by Mm, and on top of Shakti dance, whatever happened with Shakti dance, um, I said, I, I can't. And um, so that's really brought me to, to tears because uh, what can I do? This is my work. I found in my entire career on this. My visa for the United States is based on this work, on this business of mine because I have a yoga studio. What can I do if I don't do these? Uh, how can I hold my status in the US? And the, the two students that basically bad mouthed me, what is the status of mine? So they 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 bad mouthed me and I entered like a, a sort of a blacklist of yoga teachers in New Jersey. I couldn't work anywhere else. The only place that hired me was a YMCA in Montclair. And I was able to, to work for a while there uh, until I was forced to, to leave my apartment in, in, uh, in Montclair. So I left that work, but they, they were the only, and I was teaching anything else. I was teaching alpha yoga, I was teaching Iyengar. <laughs> I was teaching um, uh, Vinyasa. Um, I started to teach some belly dance class there. Um, I, I taught a few Kundalini yoga classes, but people came to my classes and they said, well, you are a different teacher, definitely, but these are the issues with Kundalini yoga. And that's when I started to wake up to Yogi Bhajan being uh, an abuser um, because, and this is important, in the Italian community, they tell you that those allegations are false. Those allegations come from women that were in love with Yogi Bhajan have been refused by him because he was above everybody. He was like a sort of a saint that never, you know, just his wife. And so these women were crazy. Wow. This is uh, an Italian mentality as well, because if today a woman in Italy, not in the yoga community, claimed to be to have been abused or raped. That's her fault still today in Italy. We are kind of starting understanding a few things, but we have a very strong patriarchal, macho society. And it's always the women uh, fault these things happen. And it's almost like, because I was told that you allowed it and you know, you allow the man to hurt you. You allow the man to um, disrespect you. No, I didn't. And I remember the day I said, no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't allow it. I didn't allow that man to disrespect me. I didn't allow that man to be um, uh, uh, misbehaved with, with me. I didn't allow that. I didn't give permission to anyone but uh, I was told that I needed to face my, uh, my demons and uh, recognize my responsibilities. And it's wrong. <laughs> 
it's profoundly wrong yes it's it, there, there is not nothing that can support something like that and the worst thing these type of affirmation come from women in the community that the predator energy has been infused where women are projecting it onto yes. other women and shaming other women and i remembered this at the yoga festival it was so interesting they were women from italy and you know i was fully practicing my sexually expressed self and so if i wasn't teaching a kudalio class i was in my own beautiful european mm -hmm. enjoyment clothes and i remember one of this lovely lady from italy and she's sitting there talking to me and saying something she just like slightly suggests how much more beautiful i look in white and in the teacher tray in the in my teacher <laughs> outfit and that i should really consider getting into the academy because it's so different than the way things used to be and i just remember thinking like this language is exactly the type of suggestive shaming language that slowly makes you know makes you lose your own spirit and sense of self yeah. like squeezes you out of you and kind of creates this conformity energy that what you're talking about also is how not just the women but also that the power of public shame you got mm -hmm. ostracized because you're you and not because you were doing anything anything wrong or you know you hadn't made a choice yet even but you got shamed and blacklisted this is not an ins isolated incident i incident like the power of public blacklisting and how well informed our community is at it consciously or unconsciously is astounding to me. I want to make sure, because probably some of my students who will watch this video, they have no idea what was happening during this teacher training because I was smiling all the time. I was very available and graceful to every single one of them. I was very cold like an iceberg toward the people that were actually uh, offending me or harming me at the moment. Um, that was definitely visible. I'm sorry, I'm like just transparent. I cannot hide a certain um, feeling. Uh, again, I am Italian emotional by nature, uh, by, you know, genetic code. Um, but, you know, most of these people have no clue of what I was going through some of them knew because they heard they overheard these people speaking behind my bed and they came to me to say what's going on um and they should know and never spoke bad about them uh back like i don't like to speak bad about people because i know how much harm i can do um, that's one of the teachings that I always took from Yogi Bhajan. Do not gossip because it's like vomiting. That was enough for me to never speak behind anybody's back and especially not speak bad about other people. Yeah, but spoken but, by the king of gossip, you know. That, you know, the key yes, no, I, I, putting people against each other by you yes. know, cutting them down with with lies. And once again, we have to see how 
our senior teachers and our lead teachers and not just the teachers, but also the people in leader pos leadership positions in all levels of the organization are using these same formulas of putting people down, Absolutely. keeping outsiders out, having this inner circle. Some people get grandfathered in, especially if you're like born in and you know all the aunties and uncles, you get kind of like the fast track and yes. like these things are patterns that are currently happening and they're so old and historical it goes back to the haves and have nots energy and like you know this you have to treat the lead teacher special and it just sets up this e ego megalomaniac formula that really creates internalized abuse and kind of this fawning energy like can i do enough to be seen in the grace of light by the by kri by this person who runs this by this person i don't know this is just what i'm witnessing from the outside yeah. i i just want to share these one things uh a, a small things because that's also when i what had a reaction that made me whoa what's going on so during that same teacher training in new jersey uh, there was a, a problem with the budget because it turns out that i was making the budget like we do in italy and in the us they want the budget done in another way so i was uh, missing um maybe a couple of thousand dollars to give to the um kri as a royalty fee and uh, this found me a little bit off guard because I've done the budget uh, down to the cents. So it means that these $2,000 had to come out from my own money since the budget was already taken by lead trainer, professional trainer, and they, they don't come cheap, the traveling fees and everything else. So I had to figure out how I could give the money. And I said, look, but nobody checked the, the, the budget before we started the training. I send it, the lead trainer didn't notice, nobody at the office said, okay, right now I am the one paying out of my pocket for something that I'm not even responsible for. Meaning I made a mistake because I based my budget on the Italian way of doing the budget for the training. But whoever is in charge here couldn't catch that mistake before, so we could rearrange the budget differently. Now, now the budget is gone, so I have to pay out of my pocket. And of course, I don't have money. I'm mad, like out of my mind, because after taking shit, and this happened toward the end of the training. At, sorry, after taking shit, sorry for the word, from everybody, literally everybody, then I had to take on this responsibility. And I remember sitting down with the lead trainer and I'm, I love her, but she said, well, I talked to them and uh, you needed to, to do something uh, like paying off these, maybe you can find like a payment plan so that they can reacquire trust toward you. This is what KRI, was this is like, the lead trainer saying that KRI needs. Yeah, you yes, KRI wanted trust. me to, yeah. And, it was like, uh, so they can trust you again and um, and you show them that you are loyal and you understand it, the, the system, the structure and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, 
do I have to acquire their trust? I think it's the opposite. After all these years, I have to trust them. Not all the way around. I have to reacquire trust toward them. And as things are going right now, they're far from getting my track. I don't trust them. There is something wrong. I don't want to do anything else for the KRI. I talked to Amrit Singh, who is an amazing uh, individual, at least with me. I don't know if I've ever done anything wrong. But um, we found a solution and everything. But then I disappeared and I said, no, I'm done. Guys, what you have taken, you are taken. I have my life to run. I have nothing left for myself. And I worked for two years to put this training up. The mistake it was taken was done. I'm not gonna pay for it. We pay all for it. We all renounce something and we all renounce a piece of this pie because I'm the only one who didn't eat that much out of that pie. And I'm the one getting out of this completely drained and destroyed. Wow. So sue me. <laughs> guys. I never heard from them for probably now they will reach out to me. Um, I hope that, they do. That's, I hope they that, do. That's, that's, the, that's the, the, the issue with them. If they do, I will sue them for putting me into a, a a community that was proclaiming love and kindness and awakening and yoga awareness. And then it resulted to be um, a rapist club. You know, it's, that's the issue with, uh, with these, uh, this community. They didn't receive enough reports. They didn't receive enough lawsuits because if we start really everybody to speak out, I think they will be forced to make some change. Be yeah, I, I think you're speaking to the fact that if there's more collective civil lawsuits or whatever kind of lawsuit, okay. especially for all of the students that have taken all of these teacher trainings and paid the amount of money for these teacher trainings, yes. that there there are there is recourse and there that there's power in numbers too and yes. there's power in you speaking your story of this level of manipulation from an institutional structure that not only exists but collects donations when there's millions of dollars circulating through if not more through these organizations that they don't necessarily need donations for it's the the I'm going to pause there I'm also going to highlight what you were saying, Simona, that when you're running a teacher training and you're a part of these kind of, quote, leadership circles of putting on things for like other students or the public, the public interface, the students don't understand the level of manipulation that someone like you is going through with mm -hmm. these senior higher superiority folks, whether it's the institution of KRI or the lead teachers that you have to put in place or the local location, all of these moving parts have to get put together by an organizer. And usually that organizer gets drained dry yes. with very less profits in the end. And that's what I heard in your story. Yes. But what I want to point out too, is that when all that drama went down, I'm sure you're doing the best you can to keep it together, to get through yeah. with the training, but there's 
cold as ice energy. There's dark. There's things not being discussed. There's manipulation behind the scenes. And from a very high puppetry point of view, let's consider KRIs in the background here as the puppet. They're <laughs> just wanting their royalties. They're yes. offering zero support, nothing hands-on, nothing from the internal anything. It's like they got the body of work. You have the teachings. We've done our job. And now every give us our money. And this is a cash cow, ladies and gentlemen. These teacher trainings are happening worldwide. Uh, level one is three grand plus in US, yeah. I believe, around this three grand mark. Each level two, you have to take five different ones, is a good thousand, maybe 1500, right? And then you enter into being allowed in the academy, which means it's three years of apprenticing more free labor and paying to be free labor. And then it's still kind of a who you know, what hierarchy you fit into to get into the know and to ever get paid. And I'm pointing it out because as a leader in a network marketing industry where I became a, I worked hard to get into leadership. Once I was in leadership, the amount of manipulation that was taking place in leadership that I didn't know what to do with. I was too exhausted to do anything yeah. about it. I had worked so hard to get there. I didn't even know how to name the coercive tactics that I knew were attempting to be used on me. So I just focused. I tried to stay in my lane. And this is what I'm hearing you're doing. Like as a teacher trainer, you come up against one block and you're like, okay, I'm not gonna focus there. Let me focus here. Let me do the best I can to keep these teachings uplifting, helping people, helping people. And we stay in our lane, helping people. And what we don't realize is that our spirit is getting sucked dry Literally. from the institution and the leadership that is using fear and manipulation to rob our spirits and our souls and our feminine energy and our, our intuition from ourselves. And this is predator formula. This is you know, power dynamics 101, the 48 rules of power, you know, yes. Re listen to these things because it happens in business. It happens in political structures. It happens in religious institutions. It happens in yoga communities. These are power systems and these structures are designed to, to suck the life out of people and then to, to cut them off. Like they're useless until we learn to empower ourselves. And I just want to say, I see you. I Thank see, you. I, I see the level you worked so hard to get to. And then in that level, the amount of abuse taking place that you're so exhausted, you can't even name it. And in the name of serving your students, you carry on until you're so dead, you have nothing left for anybody anyway. Nothing. I was part of when this happened, when I this when I realized this, I felt paralyzed. Besides seeing my energy leaving my body and calling my friends to help me not to die, um, I, I I was completely paralyzed. I couldn't move. I could only cry. Like it was years and years of crying. And thank goodness that I have two cats and. Uh, 
they were little kitties at the time, so they were super sweet and they were, you know, they're super uh, sweet cats. One of them is behind me. And they're always like five centimeters away from me. Like they never leave me alone everywhere. And I brought them from the US, so they are with me traveling everywhere in the world. But thank goodness for these two alive beings. They are really my guardian angel because then I transfer my sense of my my life, my meaning of life onto them because I have to take care of them. I'm responsible for them now. I rescued them. So uh, they rely on me. So thank God I had that... um, responsibility because I honestly I'm gonna say this openly but it's the first time they come come out I never shared this with anyone but at a certain point I really thought it was better to just leave the planet earth and that's it so I really thought of that for for a moment and I remember that the, the what shifted my mind was thinking about my cats um, I went through so much during that time that people have no idea, personal stuff, the people have no idea that the amount of stress I was going through that training was beyond what was doing, was, was happening to me directly from the Kundalini Yoga community. That when I reached the bottom and I remember the day, I was very happy to be the teacher who graduated these uh, students. I was the one present on the last day. So we did a beautiful ceremony and I said, sorry, my French, fuck it. I do what I want today. And I do a ceremony with them as I want, where I want. And I did the yoga studio because the yoga studio we were renting was terrible. They treated me uh, as well, not very politely. So I brought everybody to another place and, uh, you know, we did a ceremony. But when we ended and I returned home, I really thank my cats and the woman who, who gave them to me. Because I don't know if I would be alive in this moment. Because they take the life gradually out of you. You dedicate your life. A person like me. I didn't take these uh, trainings and this program to make money. Of course, I want to make money. It's my career, it's my work. But I really did it as a mission, as a call. And I really put passion. I could have bought a villa in Toscana with the money that I have invested in Kundalini Yoga. I'm not kidding. Mm. I let go of work that was paying 2,500 euros a month, which is gold in Italy. That type of salary I let it go because I wanted to follow my dream stupid me but I ended up after 20 years having no energy left for anyone including myself but my two cats and I'm not the only one because I know people reached out to me and they talked they felt exactly the same because our energy gets sucked like vampires a little bit of the time and it's like literally one of these vampires movie where the vampire feeds on you That's but right. it keeps you alive <laughs> you know and you work work work, work. Yeah. 
it's no, an energetic sucking. It's an energetic yeah. sucking that is. It slowly brittles and dries you out in a constant, incessant running for perfection or the next state. And it's just, it's exhaustive. Yes. I, I think the, the process, because now, you know, I was asking myself, uh, how could I get into this mess? And honestly, now I see that there is, as I was saying before, a lot of relationship between the dynamic within my family, my childhood, childhood experience, and whatever has uh, unfolded unfolded in the Kundalini yoga community. So I'm taking no responsibility for that. Like I'm not responsible. I didn't allow it, but definitely uh, I, I projected and I tried to, 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 to manifest something in my life, but it wasn't coming from a place of, um, we can say of love because um, I was already in pain when I had a Kundalini yoga. And so many people start Kundalini yoga because they're in pain. They are drug addict, they are alcoholic, they come from uh, um, traumatic experience of any kind. And the script is they will exploit your bad experience. They will, the, the main teachers will exploit your weaknesses and it's a script, they all do it. One important thing that this is something that people don't know, most of these great masters of Kundalini Yoga, these great trainers that you see around, they didn't go through all the system, the structure that I went through than to be refused the titles and everything and the levels of expertise. They didn't, they went through the grandfathering they just got recognized because they are in the, in the community for 40 years. They were students of Yogi Bhajan. So these people are given the title just because they are well connected. Um, they are just, you know, members of their community and they have given a lot of money to KRI through teacher trainings. So they, they do not have, they go through our experience of the level two, level three, 21 phases of meditation. Do you want to know another one? <laughs> now I'm spilling everything. Um, the the level, level three is was kind of confusing when I asked information, but I remember that one of the requirements was having done a meditation for three years, for two hours and a half. It had to have done two for three years, Hours and a half of meditation. One was a Sudarshan Chakra Kriya, two hours and a half for three years. So I used to wake up at 2 30 a.m. to be able to do all my sadhana. <laughs> and then the other one is the Lokina Olochina Karma Kriya, which is another beautiful meditation that actually lasts three hours. Wow. And when I told this to Harbhajan Kar, if I'm, I hope I'm not mistaken. I'm sorry if I'm mistaken. I didn't talk to her, but I think she was my reference for this type of uh, application. Um, she told me that that was invalid because nobody um, monitored me 
And I said, well, my teachers know, my teacher know that I have been doing it. Well, that's not enough. You have to have another person um, claiming that you have done that meditation. I was like, uh, and I was exhausted. I was running a business in a country that wasn't mine because, uh, you know, I opened a business in the US without knowing anything about business. So I'm crazy, yes. But I wanted to, to, to really live in the US. I wanted to have that experience. So I opened my studio. I was traveling every weekend to, to teach this training, workshops and everything. So thinking about waking up at 2.30 in the morning to do two hours in a session when, you know, I had that experience and I love it. And I have been meditating since I nine years old and I'm still meditating. I don't know why they, they just put these blocks there and they're not, um, they, they're kind of a, an occasion depending on the person. It's the they, it's occasional, blocks. it's called arbitrary, <laughs> arbitrary <laughs> blocks just because somebody decided to kind of like play on their ego that particular day. And it's again, you're just highlighting things that those of us that have been around a long time can only be like, oh my God, you know, like these things are still going on and and it's just, it's so sad to hear in a way. And yet this is like the full on marketing machine of, of why we see the whitewashing and the lightwashing, because this is serious marketing. Like the Kundalini mm -hmm. yoga teacher trainings are cash cows, ladies and gentlemen, you know, and like you're saying that most vulnerable group, those people that have been practicing kundalini teacher training taking level ones and twos but have not yet entered into the academy it's like what a vulnerable group of people that are only getting information from their respective community or lead teacher you know being promoted to going to the next solstice or next european festival but not getting the full totality or looking outside of the community for information they don't get a full totality and those are the one attracting other people because of course they don't believe in the allegation if someone asks this oh those are all lies and the the, the chain the the the, the trap yeah, continues yeah. over and over yeah, again yeah. after um the big bomb about Gurudev Singh came out and I was like, haha, I knew it. <laughs> because I know what Gurudev was capable of. I know what he did to a friend of mine who passed away. So she's not with us anymore. And I loved her dearly and I know who she was and I know what, what Gurudev did specifically to her and the entire Italian community. So I wasn't surprised at all and i know how gurudev worked energetically because i got kind of influenced by him i, I got a, a, a taste of it and i said i, I literally looked at him and i said no <laughs> like what are you doing and really speaking and then i spoke out because he he was re really a, a very powerful healer he wasn't a healer he was just a um superpower man like with uh, um how to say in this moment i it, the, the english word doesn't come up but he was able to really manipulate energy to enter your psychic 
with his mind. He was totally, those are hypnotic technique. It is, doesn't, you, you don't need it to have like a superpower for that. Right. And I remember. Violator techniques. Yes. Energetic, energetic violation techniques. Yes. And these things and, are studied and they're studyable. Yes. And I remember he was behind me physically and I was looking for my coat and he was looking for some reason to his shoes, but I'm not sure he was. And he whispered something in my ears, but I felt him initially first. And I turned my face, you know, that you don't understand what he says he usually. Uh, but I used to understand his classes. I was among the very few that understood his broken uh, English or, or whatever he was talking about. Um, and then I, I turned my face toward him and I said, what? And I was kind of disturbed, so he walked away. Um, and then it happened uh, one more time, and we were at the Guru, um, Gurmukh car house in a Taos, if I remember well, so in New Mexico. And he was one of the invitees, and uh, I remember feeling this energy overpowering me. And I said, and I didn't know he was behind me, and I said, what's going on? What's this? And I turned my face and he was sitting right behind me, slightly smiling. I remember that as it was like, oh my God. And I remember I left. So, hi, everybody, bye. <laughs> and I left. So, I've never been one of um, his followers. But after these came out, um, there are still people in Italy posting his pictures honoring his life and I'm really about to lose it because how can you continue to post after I post something about him that you can click on Facebook and translate it into Italian so you don't need to uh, know English to read my post because my account is set up for Italian and English so you translate it it appears in Italian in your account and after other people are saying about him, how can you continue to post his pictures and teaching, honoring his life? You're basically disrespecting the victims. You're disrespecting all women that have gone through something like that, even if the perpetrator was Gurudev Singh. Because uh, when, if we work with the sacred feminine, if uh, we harm even just one woman or one man, sexually speaking, and sexuality can be physical, emotional, mental, if we just harm one woman, so we disempower the sacred feminine within the human being, both women, men, you're disrespecting everybody is a chain. I don't know if this is part is clear, but I feel responsible to speak for all with victims because I am one. I know what it means. I know 
the love disempowering that comes from that experience. So I want other women to feel safe and protected yes. because I didn't feel safe and protected. Yes. And when you claim something, you feel even less safe and protected. So if you continue to post pictures of Yogi Bhajan, Gurudev, Bikram, <laughs> and other um, other predators, <laughs> predators, you are harming. You're harming yourself. You're harming the, the feminine within yourself. You're harming the feminine within other individuals in the cosmos because the feminine energy is Shakti, is the creative creativity in action, is what keeps us alive, running, um, creative, happy, beautiful, all these things. Yeah. So, <laughs> fluid. Yeah. Yes. Creative. Expand. You know, and we needed to really acquire that power back and really recognize the beauty of the sacred feminine and sacred masculine. Because if we do not honor the sacred feminine, we cannot even talk about healthy masculinity. That's right. Because they go hand to hand. You cannot, you know, talk about something and exclude the other. It, they are, you know, brother and sister, wife and husband, lovers. That's right. <laughs> you know, union. And it's the sacred union, and we will have both polarities. But if we deny our feminine energy, we're definitely denying also the sacred masculine energy within ourselves. Mm -hmm. And they're both necessary, especially if we talk about spirituality. If we want to be spiritual leaders, then we need to recognize that we have played a role in that and it's painful to recognize it but we have played a role i played a role i wasn't unaware and they you know i'm asking i apologize to the universe for having played that role but we had to recognize that we had played a role. And even I ignored the signal when someone told me, hey, I heard, I read something about Yogi Bhajan. And I said, oh no, my said that are all lies. You know, I'm wrong. And I need to forgive myself, of course, and ask forgiveness to the universe the universe has already forgiven me so I, it's not like you have to beg but in in the moment you recognize and you accept that you played that role unconsciously of course you are not um i don't want to say responsible but we we needed to now reverse that energy we needed to play the other role we needed to protect each other we needed to elevate each other mm. i don't know if it's clear what i'm saying and i don't know if you yeah. want to rephrase it <laughs> yeah what i hear you saying is that you know along the way yes you are a victim to this and so there's only aspects that you can take levels of responsibility because of the history of your own trauma and why this experience kind of magnetized you or made you available to this level of brainwash um, and manipulation. And yet that also what you're saying is that because of enough time, you also then became complicit 
and you became a predator. You became kind of that same energy that was used against you as a part of your survival within a predatory system that where women were, you know, that the, the overall, that that feminine, the feminine divine Shakti is actually being subjugated and it's being coerced and manipulated as a organization or as an ethos and both the women and the men of our community are suffering because that level of manipulation is going on and not being recognized. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this is important. You've brought up such, such important points from the feminine to the inside outside the ostracization the teacher training hierarchy the ego megalomaniac teachers once you kind of are moving through the systems how all that turns into internalized shame because the community and the, the communication is actually constant gaslighting and these are really important historical threads that came from yb from the very beginning as we read in the premka book and as we're hearing and, and watching the abuse stories reveal a tapestry that literally is the infusion of kundalini yoga as taught by yogi bhajan and all of the subsidiary healing practices that have come through that and it's such important to allow ourselves to feel this level of coercion because yeah. coercion can be done in plain sight and we get desensitized to it <laughs> and that's what i hear as like the summation of your story is over time you got squeezed of your own essence your mm -hmm. divine femininity your juicy playful definitive knowing of who you were because you were playing in this realm of revisiting trauma thinking that this community is supporting and uplifting you and what it's really doing is drawing on your life force energy yeah and this has happened to many 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 of us and i think as a collective hearing each other's stories makes a difference because we can then hear our own story and be like oh wow that was gaslighting that that i internalized that as my own problem as my own soul issue as my own trauma but these aren't isolated incidents there are lots of incidences that when we start to speak them out loud we can start putting them together and talking to each other so that we don't let institutionalized systemic manipulation carry on institutionalized systemic feminine abuse like these yeah. things are not just from yb they're infused in the institutional hierarchy and structure of the teacher training systems of the boards of the way these companies have been set up and they're innately abusive masculine energy not healthy masculine energy, abusive masculine energy, competition, comparison, putting each other down, keeping people out, lots of other themes that are abusive and predatory themes that as a collective, if we want this body of work to continue, it needs to be examined and, um, uh, what does that mean? Magnified. Certain aspects need to get magnified. 
Good. I missed you for a few seconds. No, I, I totally hear everything you are saying and I totally relate to, to everything. And uh, I like the way how you put it. Uh, first, you master the, the English language. So definitely is very, very clear. And I hope my point, uh, my experience uh, has come across because uh, I'm not here to criticize any, anybody and anything. I'm here to really put a light on certain things and uh, not to justify myself, but to make you understand that these things really happened and it, they happen at different levels with different modalities to almost everybody that were part of the academy. Mm. So it's not about the practice, the Kriya, that is perfect. And they are not perfect, by the way. We convince ourselves that they are perfect because they actually work, neurologically speaking, because I'm doing some research on the neurocognitive neuro science for my dance practice. Neurologically speaking, they impact a part of our brain that actually is like you are taking some uh, ecstatic drugs. And uh, so careful because what you feel, you feel high, is not necessarily a feel of consciousness and awareness, it is a feeling of highness. And not presence and, uh, in the body. That, that when you're presence. generating, when you're going to do that much energy, you have to ground it back down. Yes. The, the, it, it, the integration is very important and it creates a codependency and dependency. You literally become a yoga junk because you need that to even perform this smallest task during the day. And it shouldn't be like that. I practice Qigong almost every day. I do practice my dance every day. I love the joy of dance um, and then because I create choreography all the time to have always something new to teach, but I don't need that Qigong every single day. If I miss a day, I don't feel like, oh my God, I didn't do it. I have to start all over again. You know, I don't feel that. I feel just, oh, it's fine. I missed, I don't need it today, maybe tomorrow. And um, I love my Qigong practice, you know, I started a Qigong uh, um, with a Shaolin monk, it, you know, it's, it's very discipline based, um, but there is not that attachment or that need to rush home and do the meditation before bed, before dinner, before breakfast, after shower, so all these things. So be very careful because the technique might sound good to you, but are you sure it's that good? Because you feel like you have something. Probably it's not that good. <laughs> That's my experience with 20 years of experience with Kundalini Yoga. That would be a question that I would ask myself. It's a really good point, once again, is, is it really making you feel good? Because we get so, in a, a part of our system is getting stimulated and turned on, and yet, if you don't ever fully let the system settle and 
really feel into, okay, what happened in my energy system, not just using something, oh, I want this, so let me do this. And it's yeah. it's a really important point because, again, I used to think that the prescriptive thing was mm-hmm. so good because I didn't have to think. But yeah. that's a part of the issue is it's not enough just to get a chemical biological change. It's amazing. We can create that internally, but then we actually have to learn to track our energy system and notice what stimulated, what happens because this is a part of our earliest trauma response. And so Mm -hmm. we, you're really bringing up an important point about why only doing that, these practices and not fully examining or dissecting them and really learning real science about how the nervous system, parasympathetic and and sympathetic works in terms of learning to regulate trauma response. Not Mm -hmm. everybody responds the same way to the same breath practice, to the same Mm -hmm. movement. And so we have to become the authority of our own body and what this trainings tend to do as we're hearing is pull us out of our own body and teach us to not trust our own experience they're using that verbiage oh self-exalted experience but then Mm -hmm. they actually don't let you have a self-exalted experience because they keep infusing that yo yb's way is the right way or if you do this it means you're operating from shaktipat or this or this or that and so even though the language says it's your experience that matters, the trainings and the infusion process of longing to belong, you actually have to disidentify yeah. from yourself in order to grab this higher consciousness, super consciousness stuff. And it's a part of disconnecting us from our own innate pulse that in order to heal trauma, we actually have to get more connected to, not be using practices that shred our energy. And there's there's power in stimulating and moving energy through the body, but we have to learn real ancient science on this stuff. And Qigong is a great example because learning to cultivate and move energy is not like, give me another hit. Give me another hit. Instead, it's like, Qigong is incredibly empowering as practice. Um, First, there are no teachers, uh, like the main teachers. It's almost like there is the master level, but it's almost the master level is the most humble level of of Qigong. But everybody can access this teaching and... Everybody can practice it. There are so many schools. There is no like only one way to do it. There are so many. I practice three different styles, different schools of Qigong, and I'm super happy. And I practice what I need on that day. Um, And sometimes I create my own routine. And this is another important thing, because when you give me a book with Kriyas on it, and I have no power to change anything, not even the time, of the Kriya, nor even the position of the arms. So when you feel on your own, this shouldn't be here. We should do another Azan, another posture. When you have no permission, you are basically taking the, um, probably there is a better word in English, but taking the creativity away from people. 
know, they, they are all inner wisdom to understand that it's something energetically doesn't work and maybe you can do another zana in that posture. Once you teach them the anatomy of the energy, the anatomy of the nervous system, the anatomy of the physical body, which by the way, are not even barely taught in the teacher training, not even That's close. Right. That's right. I you know, they, agree. I completely agree. I started agree. to teach really anatomy when I started to, 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 uh, to study for the alpha license for the, the personal trainer and a group fitness class. Those courses teach you more about anatomy and science of movements than anything else but definitely in yoga teacher training do not teach you about the neurology and uh, system and, uh, and mobility and they claim to be the superiority of all this, superiority the of all the, information the of the nervous, is, yeah, of, is the of endocrine and nervous system science and it's like but, no and what you're saying about the kriya to, to block a channel, we're a channel of creativity. And what you're saying, to block someone from being able to use their own connective power to say, this room needs something else, right? This student needs yeah. something else. To block that, it's such an interesting part of the formula that yes. blocks us from feeling the creative pulse of our own innate trust and gives it up to the master. Even the oath, the oath yes. always bothered me. I'm not, yes, I'm, same to me. I've never said it. Me neither. I, couldn't. I, I wouldn't say because... it and I wouldn't sign that sheet of paper because I, I couldn't tell you I'm not gonna cut my hair or not eat meat. Like I'm not subscribing to the Sikh religion by being a Kundalini yoga teacher. But the fact that they've enmeshed them has created a yeah. very convoluted, incestuous, um, uh, I wanna say incestuous cultural appropriation um, mm -hmm. uh, normalcy that kind of creates this like weird, weird dynamic. Yes, two things, uh, just to complete once you give the right information correct information anybody can create a yoga class sequence anyone you have to just give the proper correct information yeah. and everything if everything is fine and people can really connect to their divine essence and channel from it so everything is once we chant the ongnamo the adi mantra then we are aligned. That was enough. Give the right information to people. Like that is, not, that is not the training <laughs> formula at all. You are not allowed to change anything. They literally, in teacher training, try to get you to say, yeah, I'll always wear white when I teach. I'll always wear a turban when mm -hmm. I teach. I'll always use my spiritual name. It's like, how are you getting people to, like, why? And uh, one thing that... I want to also specify, after 14 years, I returned to my, because I came back to, to Italy uh, back in February and I got stuck because of COVID and I'm here since February. And so I was displayed down, contacted my um, classical dance teacher of 14 years before, 20 years before, because the last time I saw her was 2004. And... Um, 
I asked her, do you want me back? Can I come back? She's an Indian woman, amazing. Child. Well, yes, Simona, come back, return to my classes. She was so happy. And we talked about that. And she told me, yes, I know. I, it was sad to, to, to see you, but you know, I couldn't say anything because you were so convinced. And we talked about these rules and stuff because in the meantime, for healthy reason, I started to eat meat again. I was actually advised by several doctors, not just one, and they were all Chinese doctors, Chinese medicine doctors and regular doctors. So I had to, after 20 years, I had to start again to eat meat. I started with fish and then I had to gradually go into meat. And uh, honestly, I, you know, got much better. And uh, I remember there are a few requirements for Indian classical dance, but specifically for, 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 for the time when you perform, because you're performing literally gods and goddesses, you know, the dance of Shiva or the dance of Ganesh or the dance of Lakshmi, Durga. So you are actually doing rituals when you perform. It's not just a, a performance itself. It originated in the temples. So I talked to my teacher and I said, look, I'm eating meat. <laughs> Is that a problem? I'm sorry, I cannot cut meat. It's, it's a health issue. And she said, don't worry, Simona, just eat your, your meat. It's, health, it's for health reason. Maybe when we do performance, try to avoid to eat pork or um, lamb or um, Oh God, uh, how do you say in English cow? <laughs> um, beef. Beef. Beef, yes. But that's for the performance, for the classes, don't worry. You have to think about your, uh, your health. This is very important because I was forced to keep it a secret in the Kundalini Yoga. I couldn't say that I was medically prescribed to start to eat meat again because my heart was taking off you know and uh, wow I had to and there are several people that had to eat meat for health issues uh, severe health issues and they are trainers and they cannot eat meat because they will be taken they, the license will be taken away if they expose that they're eating meat they would get their license yes. taken away from KRI mm -hmm. yes and this is the trainer told me, like, literally, please don't tell anyone. I was, you know, scared to secrecy. So I'm not going to say the name of this person. But Yeah, just the, the control mechanisms. The, the control mechanisms yes. in place are... are so she, my teacher, my Indian classical dance teacher, just, uh, you know, relieved me of... Uh, tons of heaviness about the fact that I'm eating meat and I'm teaching yoga I'm teaching some other yoga but still it was heavy on me and um, as I said before in the classical dance to me is a spiritual practice it's not just a beautiful dance form and so it's very high form of yoga because if you do a, even just one step, you understand why you have to be in a presence of, um, you know, in a state of mind, a meditative state of mind. And then if you put the mudra, yeah, you really needed to be <laughs> focused. 
um, the Kundalini Yoga community needs more compassion, needs more love, needs more respect, and needs to get rid of these abusers that are still around. And those people are not unconsciously abusing. Those people are consciously abusing. And they're still, some of them left K-Rai, but they're still wearing turbans. They're still representing Kundalini Yoga as taught by Yogi Bhajan, just not under the K-Rai umbrella. They don't own our life. We don't own them anything. Mm. Anything. We don't, they don't owe anything to, to K-Rai. Maybe they own me something back for all the dedication that I have given to them blindly just for the love of, of these practice. So we, we are free. We have to recognize that we have this beautiful, divine, creative power within ourselves. And we really needed to start to use it for, for good. Stop thinking that it's special because we do Kundalini yoga or any other type of yoga for that matter. Stop to think that we are special because we are spiritual. There are people that are not spiritual. They don't practice that. They are totally atheist and they are amazing because our special identity, our uniqueness is beyond what we practice, what we believe in what we wear, what we do in our free time, how we live our sexuality or whatever other type of relationship. We are unique and that's enough to have a respectful relationship with one another. Looking down to people just because we are in another status, whatever is a social or a spiritual status or professional status, it doesn't benefit anyone neither the person that you look down to, neither to you, <laughs> um, that feels so up uh, in, uh, in, your, in your level of consciousness. Consciousness is not something that goes into level, it's something that expands from within. Mm. And at any so-called level, in whatever um, dimension you live your life, from whatever point of perception in life, we are all awakened, we are all conscious, we are all aware. And I personally have no right to tell you or someone else that you are below or above me, because also thinking that someone is above you is not helpful, is not empowering. And the, the, the job of a teacher, and this is something that I have learned in the past two years, by offering my programs is that the role of a teacher, the role of an educator is to empower every single person that comes to you and to teach people through different modalities and instruments how to get their power back. If we don't do that, we are failing <laughs> as teachers. No discussion on that. That's my convention and that's my um, opinion and might be just my opinion, but that's how I'm, I, I'm setting my, my teaching uh, goal from now on. I'm not just giving you information and instruments. I'm 
giving you instruments and information that can allow you, if you want, to, to take your power back, to empower yourself. That's I don't right. even have that power <laughs> to empower you, but I can tell you, uh, I can share with you what you could possibly do to take it, take it right. back. To reignite your own, what already exists in you. Yeah, thank you so much. You've just highlighted very, very important parts um, of our long history of the web of manipulative practices and predatory abuse patterns. And you also have highlighted that these patterns are constantly and currently happening in 2021 throughout Europe, throughout the East Coast United States, West Coast United States. I mean, you brought up Jersey, you brought up L.A., <laughs> Italy, and this is important because one of the illusions we want to believe is that, oh, that was in the past. And it's not mm -hmm. a part of why these stories matter so much and why you should share this podcast with someone that you know is um, that these stories need to be told so we can see what's in plain sight and start yeah. listening to each other instead of tearing each other down and, um, and, really get a, a real lens or shedding a light on the long history of dark teachings. And a part of dark teachings means it looks like it's empowering, but it's yeah. actually disempowering. Yeah. And the way that you tell is people that have been doing it for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, are they more empowered, more self-identified, more in self-trust or less. And I think we're all bearing witness to that answer. Yeah, absolutely. Your courage is so astounding. Thank you. I also want to say that the bravery of coming forward after working so hard to get into leadership only to be ostracized it's a very hard thing to share because of not wanting the persona of um, talking down about situations or justifications or trying to make excuses for your own mistakes. It's none of that. We're talking about leadership dynamic or a leadership vortex. That's a manipulative vortex. And it's a very, very important yeah. aspect within cult leadership and business as well. Any aspect of where there's an inner circle and the people that are following don't really understand the coercive forces um, impacting the dynamics. So you, thank you. Thank you here. Um, you also highlighted parts of the community kind of in summation around what it means to be a teacher and what it really means to be an empowerer and a leader and a guide. And I want to thank you for that too, because we all need to learn to have better radars for cults because they exist everywhere. And we're all susceptible to them. Um, and then finally, would you like to share with us about your song? <laughs> um, the song is uh, Mon Ami La Rose, um, which is a French slash Arabic song from um, Natasha Atlas, which is an Arabic, who is, sorry, an Arabic singer, one of the most famous women uh, Arabic singer in the modern uh, time and uh, it's a kind of a sad song with a nice twist at the end 
And um, something that I haven't said is one of the techniques that pulled me out of my depressive spiral, besides Qigong, was oriental dance, pure belly dance. And, um, and that was one of the songs that I remembered and popped up on my YouTube uh, channel as a suggestion. And I used to dance this song in LA because I used to take classes in LA with an amazing 70 years old teacher, a majestic woman, really literally a queen. Um, and uh, this, this song came out and I found the task, the, the lyric in, in English and it really the, the lyric tells it makes me cry because it really expresses um, what I was going through. Um, it's sad. It, 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 it tells the story of an unbroken, uh, broken heart for, for losing a loved ones, and which for me was losing my soul, mm. losing my identity. And then at the end, uh, in Arabic, uh, says something like, uh, I discover that is within me is like uh, uh, it, it never left. It's something that is more on. Uh, it's not that sad and not, you know dramatic like in French, but it becomes more relieved. And uh, Natasha Atlas is just an amazing uh, interpreter of this beautiful song. Mm. So at the same time, the lyrics. Describes uh, what I went through, but the belly dance part um, describes my coming back to life through the power of dance. Mm. Mm, I just love it. <laughs> All right, let's see what we can do here. Sharing this beautiful song by Mon Ami La Rose by Natasha Atlas.
What beautiful words. We put the video up so you could read the words and I encourage you to, to go the end. That. Into, to the end. Yeah, if you haven't um, had a chance, do that because if you uh, are listening, we didn't play the whole thing because of copyright, but you can go and Google it. Yeah, it's uh, it really reminds me, uh, you know, how my soul went down. <laughs> then, you know, I, I, I needed to feel hope. There is this sentence, I needed to feel hope, otherwise I'm nothing. And I, I didn't feel any hope. <laughs> mm. So... Yeah, that's my song. I love it. <laughs> so beautiful. Just that part where a part of my foot was in the grave and the other part. And <laughs> and it was like only because of the message that you reminded me that there was there was me in there the whole time. You know, I didn't yeah. completely disintegrate. I can very much yeah. relate to that. Even though it yeah. felt like I disintegrated and I was completely gone in the rubble. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Is there any last thing you want to share with listeners before we wrap up here? I think I said everything. <laughs> I think I shared everything I had to share. Um, just uh, remind yourself to, to, to keep uh, your eyes open, your heart open. And if you see even just one orange flag, run. <laughs> You just say not even red flag and orange, just run yellow flag. <laughs> um, and if there are allegations, most likely they are true. Um, don't ask to teachers, just go and do your own research because the materials are there. And now Google has Google Translator, so there are really not excuse not to know the language for not being informed. That's the willing ignorance, and let's try to defeat ignorance. <laughs> yes, thank you. And, and that the past is going to keep repeating until we're willing to put a cog in the wheel and face it. And so I want to, to encourage all of you who are listening from the 70s and 80s and 90s that have stories, the importance of sharing yours, as historical as it may feel, really supports people like Simona and other people that joined in the 2000s and 2015s and 20s to realize that, wow, these are cycles repeating them, themselves, and it supports the process of more people ending up in the web of giving up their lives for 20 years in dedication only to have their spirits um, exhaustedly robbed um, and their livelihoods as well. So thank yeah. you. Thank you for your courage to speak. Thank you all of you for listening and the, the listening you. here that you have. Um, this has been, uh, this concludes another episode of the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, the untold stories of the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. If you'd like to contribute to this broadcast, you can make a one-time or monthly donation at gurunishan.com forward slash uncomfortable conversations. To be a guest on the podcast, please send me an email to at gn at gurunishan.com. You can also subscribe and follow my work uh, at gurunishan.com. Looking forward to speaking with you on the next episode and hearing from you in the meantime. Thank you again, Simona, for being our guest today. I appreciate your time and energy. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. <laughs>